Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking movies, TV, comics, and more. Join in the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for another edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, he is the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more, so definitely join in the conversation on social media. You can find all our accounts at OchoDuroParlayHour.com. Join in on Facebook. Join in on Twitter. Join in on Instagram. Join in on Podchaser. Drop a five-star review while you're there. And always remember to use the hashtag ODPH. Kicking off this edition of the show, we have to recap New York Comic Con 2020. Mm Mm-hmm. This was an event that definitely lived up to the hype. I know that last week we did a full preview, as we always do, because it is our favorite time of the year here at the ODPH. It's con season. And obviously, this was going to be a different New York Comic Con than we have ever attended. Mm -hmm. Obviously, with everything going on in the world, there was not a live crowd con this year. It was going to be all virtual. Yes. So, ReadPop decided to roll out with the metaverse. Mm Mm-hmm. And they delivered. They teamed up with YouTube, had every panel streaming flawlessly, and we got a lot of content. This was such a strong performance by everybody involved. We can't say thank you enough to everybody that was behind this because New York Comic Con also teamed up with the MCM Comic Con to form the metaverse. There was so much happening. We are going to be recapping the big events of the weekend. So let us kick off. Thursday was strong probably yeah. the strongest day of the weekend probably and i will say this was dominated by amazon prime video mm-hmm. we will get into that but the first panel of the day though started off strong it was dc's endless winter yeah this that one i because admittedly didn't know much about it i know there's been a lot of rumors and a lot of speculation but coming out coming in so i was very excited to hear about this and i'm even more excited coming out of it yeah, this looked absolutely amazing Bonkers. What's, what's happening. It reminded me, though, a little bit about the Avengers uh, BC team that they had. Yeah, a little bit. It kind of ties yeah. into that, but it's yeah. its own vibe. It's its own feeling to it. Andy Landing and Ron Mars were the writers for this event, and they were on the panel talking. Mm-hmm. And they did show some art from the Frost King. Yep, and it looks fucking nuts. Oh, it looks amazing. Holy and the, shit. And the different costumes, which can easily be summed up as Justice League Vikings. Pretty much. And everything was that feel of like the Norse mythology to mm-hmm. them. Swamp Thing looked absolutely badass. Yeah. And they said it's going to be nine issues. Bookend chapters are going to be super big. Tying in everybody from Superman, the Teen Titans, Justice League Dark, Black Adam are going to be the central characters. Yep. And they're also tying it into the first incarnation of the Justice League, which, like I say, that's where the comparison drew for yeah. Yeah. Avengers BC because it's going to be Wonder Woman's mother, Hippolyta. Mm-hmm. I hope I said that right. I believe uh, so. Um, yeah, so she is going to be the center character of like the one end, and then they're going to fast forward in the time to where we are in the present DCU. Yep. So it is a little crazy about that. Um, but, Pad, what did you have to think about this? I thought it was nuts. I thought it was awesome. You know, it was cool to see some of the, the covers and then even what uh, the the Endless Winter dude looked like. Um, the one key takeaway i took from it though was i forget what the name of it is but they mentioned something in it that in norse mythology precedes a certain term we're very familiar with both in the marvel cinematic universe and in an upcoming god of war sequel mm-hmm. ragnarok yeah that was- i heard that and my ears went 
oh shit, like you don't just throw that name out casually. So this could be something huge and it could set up something even huger down the road if they wanted to go there. Yeah, because I was that's what I was bringing up about like, you know, what did you think about that? Because I was waiting for you to bring up that word because yeah. when they dropped Ragnarok, uh-huh. it was going, okay, we already have this event going on with DC's uh, Dark Knight's Death Metal. Yep. We now have another epic major event at DC with Endless Winter. Uh-huh. Is it too much too soon, or do you think they're going to be standalone on their own that fans are going to vibe off I this? mean, this is, if, if I remember right, this is going to start in the end of December, beginning of January, mm-hmm. or something like that. So maybe at that point, the death metal stuff will be wrapped up, or it'll take a pause. Because I, I feel like if you do both of them at the same time, that's just going to be way too much craziness for, for my brain. Especially since death metal takes at least two readings to understand what the hell it is I just read. No, no, death metal, it's so good. But oh, yeah. You, but yeah. You, need, you need that moment of breather for yeah. it. Because if you don't have that, it's going to absolutely mess your head up. But mm-hmm. the, what they're doing over there is just phew, absolutely yeah. crazy. Oh, yeah. No, it, it's just one of those things. So... I, I, if they take time off with death metal to do this, because like they said, it's only a nine issue run bookends on each end. It, it, it'll be relatively quick. You know, it'll be enough time for them to get some more crazy stuff planned out with death metal. If they want to keep that going. So I hope that they take pause with death metal to let this have its own time to breathe. Yeah. So it's going to be obviously very interesting when this all comes off. And for DC coming off uh, fandom, we weren't really sure what to expect of what we we're going to have from them at New York comic con. Mm-hmm. Definitely strong panels though, throughout the weekend. I have to give that. Yeah. And they obviously started off Thursday strong. The next one up for me was the star Trek panel. Okay. Now, I am not the biggest Trekkie. I've said this here on the show before. I'm not hating on anybody that is. I'm just more Star Wars than Trek. But this had a lot of information going on. Obviously, the animated show Lower Decks has been rave reviews on CBS All Access. Uh And they did announce uh, one Mr. Riker is coming back next season. So that was kind of a little fun chat. Yeah, a little fun chat with the cast. And Discovery is coming back with their season three preview. And the little footage we saw looked absolutely epic. Big space battle, and there's a lot of moving parts going on with that. The new season is kicking off October 15th. Oh, okay. But that wasn't the biggest news of the weekend for Star Trek. Go on. It was announced one Kate Mulgrew is returning to the Star Trek universe. Hmm. There is a new show coming out on Nickelodeon. Odd place. Called Star Trek Prodigy. Okay. So this is going to be launched in 2021. And obviously when you're tying in Kate Mulgrew to that series and you know her legacy with Star Trek... It's a big deal. Yeah. So this is going to be something to keep an eye on. And where they're going to go from this is going to be absolutely wild. Hmm. So where Star Trek is going to be moving forward in 2021, they have a lot of big things happening. CBS All Access has been the home for it. Soon to be titled Paramount Plus. Right. So with the transition, Star Trek is having a bright future. And like I said, Discovery looked incredible. Like I know I haven't watched it enough, but... I got to get back into it, and I definitely got to give it more of a shot. Because and the new show, Prodigy, Nickelodeon, a very interesting choice. Yeah, it was. I mean, from the little bit I could do following up on it, yeah. it's basically following teenagers who find an abandoned starship. Uh-huh. And somehow Captain uh, Kate Janeway, uh-huh. who is Mulgrew's character, is involved with it. So I don't know that much about it. I've been trying to track down like really credible sources for it. Yeah. I haven't been able to find anything as sure. of yet. Sure. But if you're in a Star Trek, definitely something to look forward to. That's just going to be so, like, from what I remember as, as a, you know, kid and teenager watching Nickelodeon, which Lord knows if it's the same these days, that's going to be such a weird departure from their normal programming that mm-hmm. maybe it'll work. We'll see. Yeah. It's definitely something different. And I think it's a great avenue to try. So, yeah. 
why not? Yeah. And like I say, the expansion of the Star Trek universe through the streaming service has definitely paid off mm-hmm. thus far. Yeah. It's got a little more high profile to it, so why not take your chance and go somewhere with it? And Nickelodeon's a great place, too, if you, yeah. really, if you really want to get a next generation yeah. it's a good place uh, to start. fans to get into it, no pun intended. So that being said, the next panel I had on my day was the first ones from Marvel, mm-hmm. and these were just really fun panels back-to-back. Women of Marvel. Okay. So they had a group of uh, writers that are involved with different characters in the MCU. Uh, you heard news about Captain Marvel. You heard news about the new Black Widow book, which looked Ooh. absolutely crazy. You heard about the graphic novel from Miles Morales, Shockwaves, mm. which is coming out June 2021. Uh, you had X-Factor. And Spider-Woman 100, because you know how they do the whole uh, legacy numbering now in Marvel? Mm-hmm. So this is something wild that it, it took me a second to like realize. Yeah. Like, okay, what is going to be happening here? Because for me, it always throws me off when Marvel does this, because they're notorious now for doing these restarts and new volumes. Yeah. But I do like yeah. it that they're keeping the legacy going. And they did tease a little bit about a former Miss Marvel writer, Hmm. coming back. Hmm. So they didn't give any speculations. This was a really, really fun panel, and I definitely have to stress, go to findthemetaverse.com if it's still up, and definitely go check it out. This was definitely an entertaining panel, uh-huh. and you got a, just a lot of information, and this was a perfect vibe to kick off to Marvel. Yeah. Marvel always does an amazing job at NYCC, no matter what. And every time you go to a panel by them, it doesn't have to be about the MCU, which I think a lot of people forget. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It's always a great energy. It's always a great vibe. Oh, yeah. And everybody enjoys being there. And there's just something about the room that really fills you up. And this is another example because I have not been following a few of these books. Sure. I'm now more inclined to go check them out because Ooh. of this panel. And that's the best thing you can have from a panel coming yeah. out of this. Yeah, yeah. Next up, though, was Ten of Swords. Okay. So this was the X-Men panel. And obviously, we've been to the X-Men panel at NYCC. Mm-hmm. It is a personal favorite of Pads. Yes. And this one definitely delivered on some information. And with this new crossover, there was a couple takeaways from this. Okay. One, if I did my math right, it's about 22 issues. Yo. It's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah, stretching over a couple months. Wow. Now, I could be wrong about my math, but I was trying to track it down. I know I was talking with, you know, obviously, Trade Driven. I was mm-hmm. talking with East Coast Avengers, Wednesday Pull. Like, everybody was kind of, like, group chatting about this to figure out, okay, this seems a lot. And I think that's the number uh, Rich and I came to a conclusion with. For going back to the expanded crossovers, mm-hmm. it's a lot to ask from fans. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. Like, I understand it's Jonathan Hickman. I know there's epic story building from issue one till whenever he ends the story. Everything all comes together. Mm-hmm. But this just seemed like a lot. I'm, I'm having flashbacks of the 90s. Or yeah. whenever, well, late 80s, early 90s, when there was just a lot of books. Yeah, and now we're going back to it. I know they're just rolling out a few new books, Hellions, mm-hmm. X Factor. They did tease about the Children of the Atom book that's coming out as well. Right. So it is sensing like they're going back to the oversaturation of the X-Men line, which I'm very fearful of. Yeah, which isn't a good thing. I mean, it makes more sense if it's kind of like limited run, couple of months, and then it's over and done with. You know, and you can come back to it at some point if you have the urge to or you have the right story for it. But if they're all ongoing series that, like, have no clear end, because that's, like, one of the good things I like what Marvel's done with the Star Wars books is, especially the Star Wars main line, it it has a beginning and an end. It's, you know, set between two of the films, beginning, end, and we tie up all the loose ends we need to. Mm. But with these, it's like, okay, you know, you're kind of going on a long time, and, and there's... 
it turns into one of those situations that for me is an issue is one of my issues with comics is I try to get into a comic book or a specific line and I go reading through the latest issue and somebody references something and I go, wait, what the hell are they talking about? And they go, oh, for to, and then there's a little asterisk in the little box that says, oh, for more on this, see issue, you know, blah, 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 number whatever. And it's like the ninth one I've seen in the issue. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to stop reading this because I don't want to have to read nine other comic issues just to get what's going on. Yeah, I know. I hear you on that. It's just a lot of times you can just sum up a story and the filler issues are that exactly sure. that. And, you, and in this day and age, I hate having filler issues. Mm-hmm. If it makes sense to the story, sure. But... 19, 22 issues, whatever the case is. Yeah. It's a lot. Because if you're only doing one a month, that's, Christ, two years. And even if you're doing two a month, that's a year. Yeah, it's it's something wild with that. So I know it's going to dominate when it all gets up and rolling. And, and, like, obviously they've already started planting the seeds and, and going forward with it. So it's a lot to intake. Mm-hmm. Like I said, once it just – it seems like it's going, it's just going to dominate mm-hmm. once it – like every book is coming out at once because – that's the same vibe it had when it was in the Executioner song. Right. And it was just something, like for me, that's one of my favorite X-Men stories of all time. Mm. But it's a lot to still ask from your fans to go pick up every single issue. But nevertheless, I don't want to take away from the panel because the panel was very fun about this. And I, I definitely have to give credit to everybody down there. And we did get the background for the story. And with that being said, it was... Apocalypse is based, and it's basically when Krakoa splits into two Uh-oh. and his lost family. And then you have to be very familiar with Excalibur mm. for this to really appreciate the story. Because, like, for me, I used to read the Alan Davis run way back when. Mm-hmm. And they're tying in characters like Saturnine and Outer World or Other World. And yeah. you have to really know a lot about it. Yeah. And when they're tying in everything involved with it and about, like, how... Saturnine is now stopping the invasion of Kuroka from the Lost Family and makes a tournament for the fate of Kuroka. Mm-hmm. And now with the whole resurrection deal, which, like, if you haven't been reading the X-Men, I will say Google it. It's a lot easier to explain Probably, it that way yeah. than me doing it. But the resurrection deal is not the same in Outer World as it is in Kuroka. Mm. So it's kind of just a lot of moving parts happening that you really got to be laser-focused on. Mm-hmm. But... It was something that I was a little more interested about the event that now I get the the whole swords deal. Yeah. Because you're having attorney a duel to the death. So mm. I get this. And they kind of tease, like I said, about big ramifications for the team. And they could not emphasize team enough. So when this all gets said and done, it'll be a whole new stack quote for the X-Men. And it'll be interesting to see where it plays out. But like I said, it's just it's a lot going on. It's yeah. a lot happening. Yeah. It's not to say that it's not something to be excited about, but it is something just when you get rolling with it, it's a lot of issues and a lot to really take in mm-hmm. and, and go from there. So, yeah. like I say, if you're in the X-Men universe right now, you're going to definitely love it. And if you're not, jump on board. It's been some great books. Like I said, I love Marauders and I'm a big X-Force fan. After that, it's kind of pick and choose. I know they're coming out with the second wave of them now yeah. and you know, to each their own. But it's something worthwhile to check out. And the X-Men have been very interesting, very polarizing, but very interesting since the reboot from Jonathan Hickman. So, like I said, Marvel really has strong panels on this day. And the next one up, though, was another strong one, the Doctor Who panel. Ooh. So, obviously, the cast was talking a little bit about the recap of the past season and teasing where we're going. Also talking about the revolution of the Daleks. Right. And, and I mean, 
just everything that's Doctor Who, and it was always crazy watching in the chat. Yeah. Try getting a word in. Uh, good goddamn luck. Yeah, it wasn't happening. No. So that was the first of a couple Doctor Who panels, and let me tell you this. When we get into more of the Doctor Who announcements, definitely impressed with what is coming out. Okay. Definitely impressed. Next up, though, is going back to the X-Men universe pad, and this mm-hmm. is something up your alley. Yes. The animated series panel. Yeah, this was really cool. So uh, this was for a book that I was – that was the one thing I didn't understand was kind of like – it's about a. It was about a book that came out. You know, it was kind of like the making of X Men the animated series, and it was a lot of behind the scenes stuff. You know, uh, renditions and, and pre production stuff and stuff that never got used for the show. But it was hard to tell whether it was a book that was coming out or had already come out because the the guy who narrated it, I forget his name, uh, talked about how he saw the book and it wasn't in color and it really should have been in color and talked to somebody and got it. Got, or so, so that was a little confusing, but the panel itself was really cool because it was all folks who worked on the show from executive producing down to writing down to, you know, a little bit of drawing and just some of the behind the scenes stuff of production just because it started in 1992 i want to say you know and just for that age there was no computers you know so this was everything in that show was hand-drawn and then had to be layered on top of itself so i know the one uh example they gave was i believe want to say it was rogue jubilee and then wolverine in the uh uh jet the the blackbird Mm -hmm. you know so it was they had to draw them individually sitting in the chairs and they had to have so below that they had to have the interior of the blackbird drawn they had to have and then layered on top of that was them sitting in it you know and then anything else they had going on you know layered on top of it so it you know just some of the, the work that went into the show for its time was absolutely bonkers when they went to storyboard episodes they talked about having uh you know 300 storyboards done for this show and then scripts would be 40 pages long you know and and then you know they got going and then they talked about doing the dark phoenix saga and and that was pitched to them that wasn't they didn't go to fox or or marvel or whoever was in charge and say hey we want to do the the phoenix saga no that they were like hey we want you to do it and it's going to be you know five episodes and this was after they ordered I believe it was 39 episodes they said mm-hmm. and and so that for them was a godsend you know you'd think it'd be tough all oh, one of the most seminal stories of all time you know going to be hard to, but that was actually a comfort for them because they said listen that was five episodes we all of a sudden didn't have to only had to write 34 scripts not 39 because five of them were already taken care of we just had to adapt them yeah you know so that was cool and then just some just the way they had to do things back then with you know, their animation team was overseas in Korea, I believe they said. So you're having to send stuff and, and look at stuff from overseas and just how nuts stuff went. And even down to coloring where they showed a, a, a picture of Wolverine and how he looked and then these numbers with lines pointing to specific things. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what the hell is this? Because it was 1992 and they didn't have a computer with every color known to man at their fingertips, they had to specifically say which one it was, and they didn't even have some colors available. Ew. So, th- so that always that always made it tough, and just the amount of work that went into this was nothing like I'd ever seen before or could even fathom. Yeah, this was definitely something absolutely wild to see, mm-hmm. and always being a huge fan of the show, yeah. too. Just to get those little behind-the-scenes moments, yeah. it's like, yeah. oh my gosh. Yeah. So obviously something definitely worthwhile for all those X-Men animated series mm-hmm. fans. Unfortunately, no announcement for season six. No, no. I was surprised at that, was too. Hoping. I hoping. Fingers crossed on that one, too. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely got enough buzz, so mm-hmm. we have to wait and see. Mm-hmm. 
But next up on the list, though, for Thursday was, I will say, the the Kings of New York Comic Con. Okay. Amazon Prime Video. Okay. Now, they came out with a star-studded day of Thursday panels. Uh They kicked off with Truth Seekers. Hmm. Now, this is the absolutely wild show from Nick Frost. And this is where they're the supernatural uh, investigators. Right, right. And... This is just absolutely crazy. Ma- Malcolm McDowell was on this panel. Oh, boy. So it was definitely a fun time. I'm very, very excited to see this. It's If you're a fan of Hot Fuzz, mm-hmm. it's going to be something up your alley. Obviously, Nick Frost delivers every time. Yeah. And when this drops on Amazon Prime, you definitely need to go check it out. Uh, October 30th hmm. is the drop date. So obviously the Friday before Halloween. So what better time? That's a good that's a good time. Yeah, but this one was a definitely fun panel to watch. I'm more excited about the show. Like I was already sold from the previous footage I've seen, but now sure. I'm, like, I'm in. I'm so in about this. Eight episodes too, so it's a quick panel or a quick show to watch. So mm-hmm. definitely have to watch on that. Next up though for Amazon Prime Video was Utopia. Ah. Now, I will say this. If you have not started Utopia, you might want to wait about watching this panel. Okay. They go full into details about oh, everything going on. So a couple things I have not caught up with that uh, I, I get. But it was also a panel that if you're not really familiar on what's going on with this. Mm-hmm. And the whole story is absolutely ingenious, but it's messed up hmm. as all hell. Because it's a conspiracy theory that's tied into a graphic novel comic mm-hmm. that apparently comes to life. Oh, boy. And it's basically how to prevent the end of the world. And these readers of this comic are now thrusted into the roles of being the heroes. Like, it's, hmm. it's absolutely crazy. Yeah. But I love it those, thus far. It's, taken, it's, a, it's an acquired taste, though. Like, I got to say this. I haven't finished it yet, mm-hmm. but I have liked everything I've seen. That's good. John Cusack is creepy as all hell in this. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. And Rain Wilson, you will not look at him as Dwight. Oh, he, that's will, good. he will definitely be his own character that's about good. this, which I know throws a lot of people off about this. But this panel was very interesting. And like I said, they did give away some spoilers. So if you weren't caught up, you had some stuff a little ruined. Like for me, it, I'm still watching it because I want to see how this plays out. Because sure. they do have a way of doing dramatic twists and turns very easily. Mm-hmm. So that being said, I mean, it's definitely something worth checking out. And obviously, since the boys are over, yeah. I need something to watch. Speaking of the boys, Uh-oh. I will say this had to be one of my favorite panels of the weekend. Oh, that's good. Because we have to keep it in consideration, too. The boys had not did their season finale mm-hmm. yet. So this was just the cast mm. answering fan questions, and everybody was having a blast there. Right. And you can definitely tell this cast really likes each other. They were kidding around. They had a celebrity super fan jump in. Uh-oh. Any guesses? Uh, no. Shaquille O'Neal. Whoa. Who had a Ooh. filter making him have superpowers. Oh, God. And he kept just repeating over and over, I want to join the seven. Put me in the seven. That's a terrifying thought. Oh, it, it was hysteric. Like, it was crazy. And everybody was marking out. Oh, of course. And they're all, and the executive producer, they kept screaming at him, like, put him in, put him in, put him <laughs> in. It was definitely a fun time. I'm sure they can work it out. Yeah, Anthony Starr, who plays Homelander, was not there during this panel. Sure. He, I forget where they said he was. I think he's filming a, another project. Oh, okay. But he did answer the uh, a fan question, and he did it like his way, and then he did it a little bit like Homelander. Uh-oh. Which it's it, a 
freaking amazing. Absolutely amazing. And I love how they kept saying, instead of the season finale is dropping, mm. they kept going, all episodes of The Boys will be out on October just Wow. Just trolling everybody. If you think they don't read the internet, folks, they just proved you're wrong. Well, I like I'm gonna ju- I'm gonna dive into a little bit more in one shots. Okay. But for everybody that was bashing them because they didn't go They should put out a, a marketing campaign with that. Yeah. Because like, I know they were they were uh, advertising the hell out of it right before it was gonna come out and then right after it it had come out. But now and it, they, they kinda tap you know toned down a little bit just because it's out and, and you know it's out but just to troll people even further oh yeah they should absolutely put out an ad campaign on like youtube and then television saying all episodes of the boys are now available oh no they have been oh shit they have no no see this is one thing wow. that you haven't understand to, to kind of fill everybody in when it was announced that this show was going to go episodic and you got the first three episodes early and then it went one 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 after wow people got mad yeah and we're like review bombing it before it even came out. This season has been freaking fantastic. Mm-hmm. Anthony Starr, who plays Homelander, should be an Emmy consideration. I'm just saying it right now. He might be. But I love it that the the cast and the executive producer Eric Krippy kept going. Finally. October 9th, all the episodes of The Boys are going to be on Amazon Prime. That's incredible. They did it on Facebook. They did it on Twitter. They did it on YouTube. It was fantastic. That's uh, that's awesome. I was marking out laughing. Like You could definitely tell that they were excited to really drive that point home for everybody that was like, sitting there. Just twist the knife in a little further. Yeah, because they it was unjustly yeah. attacked. Yeah. For, for what? Because we can't get everything like Netflix and you can't binge watch everything. We've talked about this numerous times. You don't need it, folks. As long as the show is hold up. Deal with it. So I understand some people can do that. I can't do that anymore. So I'm I'm grateful for these uh, services that put stuff out weekly. Yeah. So it, it means I don't have to be a zombie for three days while I'm trying to binge watch a show, so I don't get spoiled. Yeah. So obviously the boys played it super super fun. I have, I love this panel. Like this would be one of my favorite things to watch. And Amazon Prime didn't stop there though. Mm. The next panel up was for the animated Invincible show. Okay. Now, Pat, are you familiar with Invincible? I heard about it a little bit just from what you've told me. Yeah, it's a very, very cool series by Robert Kirkman, who everybody knows from The Walking Dead. Yep. And it's a story about, I'll just read right from Find the Metaverse. 17-year-old Mark Grayson, who's just like every other guy his age, except his father is the most powerful superhero on the planet, Omni-Man. Now, this is a story somewhat similar to Spider-Man in certain degrees and somewhat... The boys and others. Mm. It's super violent as all hell. You are going to have no punches pulled. The comic is incredible. I, I recommend reading it if you haven't. Yeah. Like, I haven't read every issue, but right. what I've read, I've right. really enjoyed. And they did kind of tease some more stuff coming out. The trailer was enough to get fans interested. I know I was talking with Brian from Cheers to Comics. He wasn't a real big fan of the animation. It is a lot more like uh, X-Men Generations. Oh, okay. That style. Like yeah. that's, that's the easiest yeah. comparison I can yeah. make with it. I didn't mind it, though. Like, I thought it looked really cool, and I'm excited to see what they're doing. And this is also another little piece of information. If you read the comic, the character Battle Beast mm-hmm. is going to be voiced by one Michael Dorn. Hmm. So stay tuned for more info on that. Say it, it almost sounds like a, like a true life, like what would happen if Superman and his son were real. Kind of, yeah. I mean, it's very adult-oriented, yeah. so it's not for kids. Yeah. 
but because I get because I get the feeling if Superman and his son Jonathan, I believe is his name, mm-hmm. were real, I don't think he'd be quite the Boy Scout that he's portrayed in the comics. No, uh, people people would be going through some walls if they pissed him off. You'd see a lot more like Homelander from the boys, yeah, yeah. Uh, to a certain degree. And like I say, this show is not for kids per se, but it's it's a very violent car- comic. I will say that, right? Like, they don't pull any punches. So I'm expecting to see a lot of that translate onto the animated screen when it comes out. But the last one for Amazon Prime for the day, and like I said, they kept hitting just home run after home run after home run. The Expanse okay. was giving their first look at season five. It was very interesting. I was definitely intrigued by what I saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be the same setup as The Boys. So on December 16th, mm. you're going to get the first three episodes mm-hmm. of season five, and then they're going episodic after that. So seasons one through four are available right now. So if everybody wants to get caught up on it, it's been very good from what I've seen. Mm-hmm. Like I say, it's, it's on my list of the shows I need to catch up on. Right. But I just haven't had time. But I'm definitely starting to get rewatching it because I want to get caught up by the time this drops. Mm-hmm. And everybody I know that has seen this, whether it's, uh, I believe, Pina Comics and a few other friends have always said this is a phenomenal show to check out. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure it was Pint because I know we were talking about it down at Con last year. If not, I apologize if it wasn't. But this was definitely a strong way to start out. Mm-hmm. I know that there was an IDW Lock and Key panel. Mm. Now, have you seen Lock and Key yet? No. On Netflix? I'm, okay. Listen, I just got through season one of uh, Umbrella Academy. Give me time. No, no, fair enough. I, I, I lose track of, like, there's so much dropping at once that, you know, we got to just make sure we're on the same page about. Lock and Key has been very good on Netflix. I like it. I know it gets a little teeny bopper at time. but Sure. It's TV, so I kind of suspend some reality with it. But they did talk to the creative team about the comic and definitely teased about a few things going on with that. Mm-hmm. So uh, Joe Hill, who is the author, Gabriel Rodriguez, who is the artist, uh, were kind of giving a little behind the scenes and mentioned about a Sandman universe crossover. Mm-hmm. Now, DC and Sandman really rarely cross over to anything, let alone each other. Mm-hmm. So the fact that IEW is getting a little access with this, and they did show some promotional art, it looked very cool. Um, obviously, they're talking about the next chapter of the comic, which is going to be like the history of the key of a key. And season. And the only thing they said is season two is going to be under production. So they started off Thursday very strong. I mean, what yeah. did you, you say overall for Thursday was jumping? Uh, obviously, all the stuff Amazon had going because, Lord have mercy, they came hard and heavy. Yeah. No, like I said, I think they won con. Uh, but they had some tough competition as we jump now to Friday. Mm-hmm. And Friday... Ready Player Two kicked off the day, so if you're a fan of the movie, Pat, are you a fan of Ready Player One? I've seen the movie. It wasn't bad. You know, not the hugest fan of it, but it, it was enjoyable. Yeah, Ernest Klein, who's the author, uh, had, was talking with Will Wheaton. It was a one-on-one mm. and giving a little idea about what to expect for Ready Player Two. The book is supposed to be dropping on November 24th. Guess we'll give it three years. It'll be a movie. Yeah, so had a little stuff to be in, you know, enticed with, shall mm-hmm. we say. But next up was a panel that I know is near and dear to your heart because mm-hmm. you did preview it on the show. Yes. Lucas Publishing, stories from a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, no, this is this is always super exciting because this is the panel that if you are a fan of the Star Wars books uh, or comics, and not just the adult books, but the young adult stuff and the kids stuff, you know, it's definitely the one to tune into because uh, they like to give previews and, and a little hints and tidbits of what they're working on. Or just casually drop that they put out, they uh, submitted a new manuscript for a new book, like uh, Timothy Zahn did a couple of years ago when he announced he was doing another Thrawn book, which was completely out of left field. Yeah. So this one had a lot of like 
information for all the genres like it wasn't yeah. just the major book which is usually which is usually how it works you know in the past it's kind of been a they introduce who everybody is and what some of the stuff they worked on and then they kind of go down the panel and there's no real organization to it it's just kind of like everybody sits how they sit and it's and it's just they talk about what they're doing yeah it was very interesting like i said they were talking about the you know some more stories coming out for boba fett mm-hmm. and the art of the mandalorian and galaxy edge which like should whatever. be amazing if you if you haven't seen any of the art the, the art of making of books for anything they put out they are fantastic yeah i know it looked dope as hell like i it was the first time i've seen this mm-hmm. and they're also talking about the galactic storybooks and that's like a kid's line yep and they're talking about the idw publishing high republic mm-hmm and mentioned about Shadow of Vader's Castle and more hype for the Marvel line. Which, I mean, my one issue is Shadow of Vader's Castle. Calling the people who live on Mustafar Mustafarians just sounds weird. Yeah, I get, I, I, it, I get it. It makes sense. But to, in my head, I'm like, that just sounds weird. And then they kind of capped it off talking about the Star Wars archive book. Mm-hmm. So as they said it's a huge one. And yeah. there'll be a lot of information for that. Because I believe they've done one for four through six, if I'm not mistaken. I believe so, yeah. So definitely had a lot of information for that. And obviously, if you're a Star Wars fan, this that was a must-watch for mm-hmm. you. And also, I believe Friday was another panel for Star Wars? Yeah, so that was one about... They gave some more details about the, the upcoming... I don't even know what the hell you call this uh, event, I guess you could say. Uh, Star Wars The High Republic. Uh, this, of course, is the event they're doing with uh, Marvel Comics, IDW Comics, uh, Disney uh, Book Publishing, so that's, that's the kids' stuff, and then Delray Publishing, which is the adult stuff and the young adult stuff. Uh, where they had on uh, they uh, Susanna Paulo from Polygon uh, hosted it, and she talked to writers Charles Soule, who I am uh, very much a fan of, uh, Justina Ireland, Kevin Scott, who I am also a huge fan of, uh, Claudia Gray, who has written some amazing stuff, uh, and then Danielle Daniel Jose Older, uh, and then also there was Lucasfilm Publishing creative director Michael Siglin. Uh, unfortunately, Jen, Jennifer Heddle could not be there, so Michael got hit with all of the questions that were pertaining to you know Lucasfilm uh, side of things. Uh, basically. And, and this was going to be an interesting panel because we've heard about it's going to be set 300 years uh, before the Skywalker saga. So, you know, the only person around is going to be Yoda. Uh, so and, and we didn't really know a lot about it, but they did give some details. Uh, basically, the start of it is there's an event that happens. that's kind of a catalyst and going to change the galaxy as they know it, where you have a cargo ship called the Legacy Run. It collides with something in hyperspace and, you know, basically makes this huge mess and passenger cars and cargo uh, portions are scattered onto different planets and the Jedi Order gets called in to to help uh, fix the situation. They kind of made it sound like it's an everybody has to come type of situation, not just, oh yeah, hey, we're dispatching two Jedi and you guys go take care of it. No, it sounds like everybody's getting involved. So that's going to be absolutely nuts. Uh, Yoda will appear at one point. Uh, They're calling the event, by the way, the Great Disaster. Uh, Yoda will appear at one point and he'll be kind of in an element you're familiar with seeing him from the films and he'll be training Padawans. Uh, But he will uh, be seen in action and he does get some fighting action. Uh, so that, that'll be awesome to read. Uh, Claudia Gray talked a little bit about her book into the dark. Uh, you know, and th- she said uh, her characters are actually caught up in the disaster itself. Kevin Scott talked a little bit about uh, his Marvel comic and specifically one character uh, titled Keeve Trennis, uh, who is posted to a massive space station titled Starlight Beacon. Uh, and she has literally just become a Jedi Knight. Like, she figured she'd get put on some outpost or some like watch station or something like, Hey, you're new. Let's get your feet wet before we put you in something. No, we're putting you on a huge space station where this happens. 
So that should be absolutely nuts. Uh, and then Charles Soule talked about this, what he's working on, uh, and specifically one of the characters is called Avar Chris, uh, K-R-I-S-S, who perceives the Force as music and calls it the Song of the Force. One thing I kind of get took away from this panel is that they're kind of changing the way you might look at the Force and that it's not just all... Hey, everybody has the force and everybody can learn these powers if, you know, they just got to learn hard enough that it, and I, and I like what they're doing that everybody's different about it. Some people, Mm -hmm. some people are better at other things. Some people are stronger at some stuff. Some people aren't as strong. That's one thing that Claudia Gray brought up that one of the characters in her books, uh, she kind of, uh, described it as a spider web where there are some uh, strands on a spider web that are stronger than others. Some aren't quite as strong. One of the characters in her book is, you know, got to work a little harder, you know, that it, it doesn't come as easy to them, you know? Uh, so there was uh, some more good stuff in this. Uh, there was a, uh, a Wookiee Jedi was described being in this and that he has a two handed lightsaber built to match his strength and size. And apparently this lightsaber is freaking huge. Hmm. So, and then they kind of capped off that there have been references to the high Republic in recent work that no one has picked up on. And I believe they said one that came out about five months ago or so. So there've been stuff that is in the old, the high going to be in the high Republic that nobody's picked up on. So, uh, eagle-eyed detectives should definitely go looking for that. Uh, and then they did make some uh, announcements for Phase 2, I guess as they're calling it. Uh, Kevin Scott will be writing an adult novel. Justina Ireland is going to be writing a young adult novel. And then Daniel Jose Older is working on a middle-grade novel. No titles or descriptions or anything, just that's what they're doing. Also, after a long hiatus, uh, Star Wars Insider Magazine is going to be publishing uh, short stories again. Okay. Uh, beginning with a High Republic one this December, written by Charles Soule. So it looks very interesting. I'm very uh, excited to see it, and I cannot wait till this drops. No, it definitely sounds interesting. Yeah. And it was one that I missed on Thursday, so I'm glad you brought that one back up, Pat. Yeah. Because like, there was so much going on this weekend. It was tough to get going and really organized for what was happening. I had actually one computer monitor on and my TV on the other, mm. trying to get all the coverage going. Because with everything happening in New York Comic Con, there's just so much for the fans. Yeah. It was just absolutely incredible to see all this and try taking it all in. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, especially going back to the Friday schedule, when Marvel got going again, too, Mm -hmm. this was definitely a fun day because we got a big news announcement. And I got to say, when it's it's big news and I say it's big news, it's big news, which Marvel is also talking about another crossover happening. Mm. And it's Marvel's Venom King in Black. Uh Uh-oh. So this is Donny Cates and Ryan Stegman's swan song, I believe, to Eddie Brock. So so Donny Cates is going to be batshit crazy. Oh, yes. And this one definitely hyped it up. And for crossovers, like I know we talked about last time about X of Swords and like when that gets going. I know it's happening right now. Mm -hmm. I have to catch up on it because there's so many books in the X-Men line. It's tough to follow everything. Mm -hmm. So I believe they're on like part four now yeah. of the crossover. So I need, okay. I need to catch up on. So it was great having this panel to get an idea what's happening and also to kind of follow back with Venom because I have not been reading Venom lately, mm-hmm. but I know when I started reading Venom, the Cates and Stegman took over the character Eddie Brock. Yeah. They actually made him into an A-lister. Yeah, pretty much. And where Cates has been given the freedom to really develop mm-hmm. has been truly something to see. And the whole involvement of how the symbiotes are from a planet. Mm-hmm. We have Null yep. and how he's now become a major player in the MCU Yeah, uh, as in the Marvel comic universe. This is something to really get excited about. Cates was actually at his parents' house writing <laughs> and, he was talk- and he was just talking about like how he grew up and he would tape uh, Venom issues to the wall yeah. like in his poly bag because that's how much of a fan he was. Yeah. And you can just tell about how excited he was about the character. And just the passion that he brought with this, 
I always thought he was a big Venom fan. I did not realize he was that big. And to hear the also from Ryan Stegman about drawing symbiotes mm-hmm. and just how he's been given per, you know complete permission to do whatever he wanted and yeah. really take those in a different direction, you have to just really sit back and think. Like Venom used to be Spider Man's villain, yeah, and that was all he was, pretty much. And now he's grown into this own entity in Marvel, mm-hmm. and now he's having one of the biggest crossovers happening. I know there, t- uh, Cates was mentioned about the Writers' Summit and how it was so centered around King and Black, mm-hmm. which is a story about how Null is now coming to Earth. Yeah. And what happens there, and they said if you thought Absolute Carnage was something, <laughs> expect a bigger body count. Oh, boy. And he was just saying if you really need to get caught up on everything, uh, Venom 40 is going to be something you really want to go check out. Mm-hmm. And it's a big moment in issue one that you're going to say this is what establishes Null as the, as the huge threat. Mm-hmm. He said three stories you definitely want to read in the trilogy is Venom Rex, Absolute Carnage, and King in Black. And also read Silver Surfer Black as well to have a little benefit from it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if it was Venom 40 or he said an issue after, but we are going to be talking legacy numbers again with Marvel. Venom 200 is coming out in 2021. Wow. Like, how crazy is that? That's nuts. I remember it was Lethal Protector. And how he rolled out from that, and he was in San Francisco running crazy, mm-hmm. which is a lot of what the Venom movie was based off of. Right. Love it or hate it. But it was just something that it took me a second to realize, like, Marvel has really been sticking to the characters a lot, even though it feels like we have a reboot every three minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely has that vibe to it. Yeah, which, I mean, it's not a shot at Marvel. It's just how they do their business with restarting franchises. I'm used to the old school way of remembering, like, oh, do you remember Incredible Hulk 181 was Wolverine's first uh, appearance? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm that's my philosophy about comics. So when you can remember, like, somebody's first appearance, yeah, that's where it stands. It's not like, okay, which volume of uh, X-Men did I read here that this happens and, and goes from there? It's yeah. like, you know, you just have to kind of put that in perspective. So to see what Marvel does with this is something interesting. And like mm-hmm. I said, I thought they had very strong comic panels, and I thought that really helped. We didn't get a big MCU announcement. I know some people online were very upset about that. Uh, deal with it. We, yeah. know, we know it's coming. Yeah, we know it's... Like, I've been saying this for six months. Like, I get people are pissed off they didn't have anything in San Diego. They announced everything they were doing last year. Mm-hmm. Like, nothing has changed in a year other than they're filming... Hey, they're filming stuff. Cool. Awesome. Like, I get you want to see trailers, but... They're not ready yet. Yeah, so just everybody's uh, sit back and relax. We do have some MCU news to talk about per se in one shot, so we'll yeah. get to that a little later. But for what Marvel brought to the table here, it was not bad. No. Not bad at all. So I was very happy with what I saw. Kudos to Marvel, another great MC- NYCC mm-hmm. weekend. And passing on to what else was happening on Friday, The Stand uh, showed off a new trailer for December 17th coming out on CBS All Access. Hmm. Uh, so if you're a fan of the Stephen King book, uh, oh, okay. you'll have something to look forward to. Uh, you won't be able to listen to Everything is Going to Be All Right in yeah. the same manner. But it looked good. Um, I'm intrigued by it. I'm not the biggest Stephen King guy or the stand yeah. either. So it's going to be something that if I catch, I catch. It's funny. I got a funny Stephen King story. I was out at Barnes & Noble over the weekend uh, checking out some books. Uh, and I was near the whatever section Stephen King is in, uh, and I was and I was reading the cover or the back cover of one of the, a book I was kind of interested in seeing what it was about. And I overheard this this woman go, "Oh, there's a, seems to be a lot of Stephen King books here. I guess, I guess he's still writing these days, isn't he?" And I'm yeah. thinking, "Where the fuck have you been?" <laughs> Sometimes it hits you like that. It's it's yeah. just weird yeah. to hear the recaps. But the stand, like I say, is going to carry on the Stephen King legacy. 
December 17th is when it drops on CBS All Access. Mm-hmm. So a lot of stuff to be excited if you're a fan of that. Yeah. Another thing to be excited about is BBC America's The Watch. Hmm. Now, this was something I had not heard about. No. But it's one of those, as I've stated before, if you go to a con, you want to go check out a panel you don't know anything about, you'll probably be happily surprised. This was along the same vein because I knew absolutely nothing about it, and except BBC was involved. Yvette Nicole Brown was moderating the panel. okay. So I was already sold on that. I think she's amazing. Yeah. And I'll just read it off findthemetaverse.com because it's the easiest way to describe it. The Watch follows an unlikely group of misfits, the City Watch, who are forced to find the guts to save the world, surprising Mm. even themselves in the process. The comedic yet thrilling series pits trolls, werewolves, wizards, and other improbable heroes against an evil plot to resurrect a giant dragon that would lead to the destruction of life as they know it. Mm. It looks fun. It looks That's good. over the top a little bit in, in cases. It's definitely got some room to really capture you. Mm. I liked what I saw. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna front. I really liked what I saw. I'm probably gonna give it a watch when it comes out in January third. Okay. So something a little different. And like I say, it's just something that when a panel has that much energy, I'll be willing to give it a watch. Also talking about panels, and I know Pad, this is one dear, near and dear to your heart. Mm-hmm. Batman Beyond. Oh, yes. So Will Friedo, Kevin, Kevin Conroy, and yes. Andrea Romano were talking back about the 20-plus years of Batman Beyond. Mm-hmm. Why don't you tell our listeners your feelings about Batman Beyond? Batman Beyond is a very good story that because I, I I grew up when Batman the Animated Series was in its in its run and in its heyday. You know, and even in the Superman the Animated Series and then when they brought back Batman, the, the new Batman Animated Adventures or whatever the hell they call it. Uh, and then when they came with Batman Beyond, my first initial reaction was, what in the world is this? Mm-hmm. This isn't the bat like nothing about it was the Batman that I knew. You know, it, it kind of starts off it, and it hits you right at the start. If you get a chance to watch the first episode, I believe it's on uh, DC Universe right now, but we'll probably be moving over to HBO Max in the next couple of months. Uh, the first episode starts off and it's an, it's a very uh, obviously aged Bruce Wayne. He's got some gray hair got a little bit of weight put on yeah and he's in the batman beyond suit and he's taken and it, and it seems like it's this routine mission oh you got a, a gang of thugs you know in a warehouse look like they're transporting weapons illegally so he goes in he stops them and he's having particular trouble with this one guy he takes the gun out of his hand and he almost kills him hmm. and, it, and at that point he decides okay time for me to put this down so he puts the cowl down and he quits becoming batman we'll flash forward 20 years and it's in the future cars are flying you know, everything looks future. The, the art style is completely different from what you saw with either Batman animated series iteration, you know, and it's just it was such a wild take that it's OK. Bruce Wayne is aged. He's got a cane. He's a little hunched over. He's got a dog, you know, a great Dane or I forget what the dog is, you know, mm-hmm. to, to help him out. And you've got this young kid named Terry McGinnis, you know, who initially stumbles upon it and ends up becoming Batman. And, you know, the suit can fly without a grappling hook and it's got jet boosters on his feet and he's got a flying car and spoiler alert, he's the clone of Bruce Wayne. You know, the show is just all sorts of wild and it it was one that I wasn't entirely sold on, especially because it was, like I said, it was so different from Batman, the animated series where, like I said, Bruce is old, but Joker until they did the movie wasn't around. There was no penguin. There was no scarecrow. There was no, uh, Catwoman. There was no Poison Ivy. There was no Harley. Uh, Mr. Freeze made an appearance in at least one episode, I think, but it was like one or two episodes and then eh, gone. Yeah. You know, so it was just so different, but it was one that I ended up loving. 
Yeah, no, Batman Beyond definitely carved its own niche in the Bat yeah. universe. I mean, now it's written in the canon, so yep. I'm assuming we'll see it in the comic line officially, officially DC. Yep. Uh, much like Kingdom Come. Like, for me, because I always just remember the show as, like, its own separate universe, and they yeah. really, like, had a crossover. Yeah. I'm just waiting for Ta- Terry McGinnis to come into this timeline. Yeah. we haven't. I don't believe we've seen it yet. Please correct me if I'm so. wrong, but I haven't so. seen it yet. But, no, Batman Beyond was such a, an inventive idea. Mm-hmm. At the time, and, and the fact that fans are gravitating towards it, and getting, you give us Michael Keaton playing yeah. this in a live action yeah. already, Warner Brothers. I yeah. know you listen to the show. We do know that for a fact. Yeah, and Batman Beyond, not directly in the show, but in a crossover they did with Justice League, did bring one of my favorite moments in animate Justice DC animation history. It was one where the Justice League went forward into the future into the Batman Beyond portion of the timeline, and. Uh, they end up meeting old Bruce. They end up meeting old Bruce Wayne and everybody else. You know, so Superman, uh, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Hawk, or Hawk Girl, and everybody else are like, "Whoa, what the hell is this?" And they're just kind of they know each other. And and old Bruce has got a smirk on his face. You can find the clip on YouTube if you look it up. You know, Justice League meets Batman Beyond. Uh, you know, and they meet each other. And and uh, Batman is kind of he goes, "Huh?" And he goes, and old Bruce Wayne goes, "Surprised." He goes, yeah, I'm surprised I lived this long. Yeah. And, and Terry McGinnis comes up. He goes, Bruce Wayne, Batman, Batman, Bruce Wayne. Or do you two already know each other? Yeah. It's, it's a, a great moment. It's so cool. And like I say, I really hope that in the upcoming years we'll get like a definitive answer like Kingdom Come if it's going to be the future of DC's timeline. That would be nice. They keep resetting so much that if yeah. it's happened, yeah. I don't even know if it still has happened. Yeah. It's just how DC Comics does their business. And I'm not hating on them, but it's just... You see how many times they reset the timeline. So, like, is it part of it? Is it not? Or is mm-hmm. it just standalone? We don't know. Yeah. But this was a fun panel to watch. I mean, obviously, Kevin Conroy is a king at yes. cons. Everything. So, yeah. So, I mean, read about it. And keeping in the Batman universe, the next panel up that I want to talk about okay. had to be arguably one of my favorites. Okay. Not because of what you're going to think, but it was Scott Snyder and James Tynan IV uh, just talking. Oh, that's it was, cool. It was a conversation. And it was like two old friends just catching up about things. It, they really deep dived into what everybody's been doing on Batman. And mm-hmm. it was a lot of like Scott Snyder praising uh, Tynan's run, which it's been epic. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's hit the yeah. ground strong. Yeah. Going a lot of different directions that if Joker War is just wrapped up. Yep. And where they're going with the new Gotham vibe, mm-hmm. it, it's brilliant. So, well, and I think that was one thing that even uh, Scott brought up at, towards the beginning of the panel was that, you know, he's talking about. Tynan's run and he's good he, I think he said even and I might be paraphrasing uh you know you you're taking Batman in directions and stories that I never would have dreamed of yeah no he fully is like I always say Snyder and Capullo's run is my favorite one of Batman yeah and it is it still holds up I do like Tom King's mm-hmm. I know it kind of goes in some different directions at times but sure. overall I I really enjoy it because what you see is in Snyder and Capullo's run they put the fear in the bat mm-hmm King's run, he puts the man in the bat. Tynan's run, he puts the anxiety into the bat, Uh which is so weird to think about. But everything that has been Batman about calm, cool, collective has now been flipped on a 180. And especially a guy who you think of some of the moments, you know, death in the family, death of the family, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, nightfall where Bane breaks his back and, and, you know, uh, killing joke and just some of the crap he's been, he's been put through the ringer Mm -hmm. that you still, Tynan is finding a way to still mentally push him and mentally find those, find those holes that you, you'd think he's scarred all over, you know, 
uh, metaphorically speaking. But Tynan's still finding a way that, oh, no, there's still some knives that we can stick in the and twist a little bit. Yeah, like I say, that's why he puts the anxiety, because if he forces Batman to relook at how he fights crime. Yeah. On every level, like that is some mind blowing stuff right mm-hmm. there. Because you think about how Batman is written, and I know that there was uh, an amazing uh, poll posted. I, I want to say by our friends over at Villains Demand. What up, JVD? What up, Ev? What up, Hawk? And they posted about who is the worst villain and co- or worst hero in comics. Mm. And actually, Batman got votes. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I, it was Wednesday poll, and uh, I believe our uh, friends, formerly from Ghost of the Stratosphere, uh, Stu World Order Productions. All chimed in. They said, yeah, Batman is overrated, and hmm. this is why. Hmm. And it's so crazy to think about because for the majority of people, they think Batman's invincible. And sure. He's, like, sure. he's the ultimate level of human perfection if you really want to deep dive into that. Mm-hmm. But to see how Tynan has broken him internally mm-hmm. and now made him relook at everything, and that's why I say he puts the anxiety into the bat because now – Batman has to reassess everything and going through the smallest of details. It's truly been a phenomenal run. Yeah. Like I say, thus far. And I can't wait to see where he's going. I know he's introduced a ton of new characters. Obviously, everybody's jumping on the punchline bandwagon. Yeah. Which I'm expecting her to have another big year in 2021. Oh, yeah. She's getting near like the weird Harley Quinn hero. Like, yeah. I don't want to say hero level, but popularity level. Yeah, like, she's a good character. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not 100% sold on her. Yeah, like, I think it's just. I got to gotta see more. Yeah, I got to see some more. But, I mean, great start. Don't yeah, get me wrong. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But for, like, everybody you talk to about it is like, whoa. Like, mm-hmm. pump breaks. Great character, great run, but, like, Let's not crown him after right. after one win, you know, like for that character. Tynan, you can crown. Oh yeah, he's right. He's writing a, a masterful run. So to hear those two go back and forth, and obviously you heard Snyder talk a little bit about death metal and how everything matters. Like that was that was the point he drove home about it. Because right. Obviously, trying to translate everything going on with Dark Knight's death metal and metal. I mean, metal itself. Mm-hmm. It's a wild ride. It's insanity on paper, but it's beautifully written and drawn. And to see that they're tying in every single element from the DCU and how every crisis has mattered and everything and just how they could almost reset the timeline. But yet, if you do, you lose the value of what makes you the hero. Like, it's mm-hmm. so, like, leveled thing. Yeah. It's freaking brilliant. Yeah. And to hear those two just break it down, like, I was like, this is the panel I like because they didn't really give anything away. Sure. Kind of teased some stuff, sure. But it was just them talking about the impact of each other in writing. And it was just such a fun conversation. Those are the best ones at con. Mm-hmm. So I was, like I said, I truly love this panel. And obviously you should go buy everything from both of these writers because they're freaking amazing. Next up, though, was a panel that was near and dear to us. Uh-huh. WWE Raw, 30 years of Drew McIntyre, Selena Vega, and Triple H talking about yep. all things Monday Night Raw. Yeah. So it was like a little fun throwback, and it was some personal stories from Zelina and Drew Mack that I was very interested in seeing. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's always good to hear those behind-the-scenes stories because every, everything is so – like, especially with WWE, it's so much in the public and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and, you know, promoting and videos and Twitch and this and that. You, you don't really get to see the behind-the-scenes stuff until they do uh, something on the network. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's good to hear these behind, and especially when you you have a guy who's not with the company anymore. It's always fun to see those inter- hear and read those interviews. You know that they talk about behind the scenes, yeah, and, and just some of the stuff that goes on. Yeah, it definitely was. So to hear them really kind of break down what Monday Night Raw means to them, and just where they've really stepped up their game and really gone with, is truly something really cool to see. So like 
I always like those uh, vin, vin, you know, I want to say vignettes because they kind of feel like that a little bit. Sure. But those those little video chats that they have in it. The only thing it was kind of telling is you know it's pre-taped. Yeah, I mean you got that with everything though. Yeah, but this was like I believe right after Night of Champions. Oh, okay. So like it, it like I think at one point they they basically say it, and I was like ah oh, like yeah really that long ago like yeah. it's, it's that polished but it is what it is. So I wasn't mad about it. Obviously big WWE fans here sure. on the ODPA. Sure. Next up though was a panel from Sci-Fi. Okay. And they're doing a comic. Hmm. Now, is it Deadly Class Reunion? No. No. Should be. Take note. Bring it back. All is forgiven. Uh, no, Sci-Fi rolled out Resident Alien. Hmm. Now, this is a comic uh, based off, uh, or a show based off a Dark Horse comic hmm. uh, with Alan Tudyk in the leading role. And I did not realize, uh, our friends over at the Geekdom Fancast were mentioned that this panel already happened last year. Like, they teased it a little bit. Hmm. So, I, I actually missed this. So, this is the first time I got a chance to see it. Hmm. And this looks really interesting. It's a story. It's kind of like a dark humor story. Sure. That you have an alien that comes to Earth because he's doing like an invasion type deal. Okay. He crashes He crashes his ship in Colorado during the snow wintertime. Always good. Yeah. So he can't find like the vital piece that he needs. So he goes and discovers a doctor that's in the woods and essentially kills him and takes mm. his role. Well, so he course. assumes himself as human until he is needed to come into town where he has to be a doctor and, and perform medical duties. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where the basis is. It's Alan Tudyk, though. So, I mean, really, do I need to sell you anymore? Mm-hmm. It looks absolutely fantastic. I am definitely on board with this show. I'm very interested to see when it comes out in January 2021. We saw the first 10 minutes, and like I said, everything really was interesting to see how this is going on with this alien and just the you know the whole fish out of water vibe. Right. So something to stay tuned for for sci-fi in the next year. And like I said, if they wanted to bring back uh, Deadly Class, hey, all is forgiven as far as I'm concerned. Uh, next up, though, on the panel list was Stars American Gods. Mm-hmm. So if you're a fan of the show, they definitely – uh, appeased you, shall we say? Okay. Gave you a lot of information about it and where they're going, and it was it was a fun panel. Like That's I said, good. I was really kind of tied up between a few other things I was doing at the time, but it caught the basis of it. And like I say, it's one of the panels that everybody keeps raving about from Con. Hmm. So I got to go back and rewatch it. And obviously, it's been an interesting show. It's an interesting story if you've ever read it. So something to keep your eyes out for from stars. Like mm. I say. They, they kind of fly under the radar with their shows a little bit. So definitely one that a lot of people are talking about, so they got to go check that out. But for me, this was the most surprising panel of Friday. Mm-hmm. Boom Studios, Berserker. Is that the same crew that does the uh, WWE comics? Yes. Okay. Uh, and this comic, though, very interesting. Okay. Because, Pad, do you know who is behind this? Nope. One Neo. Keanu Reeves. Oh, okay. You said Neil. I was thinking the singer. Yes. No, no. Uh, this is Keanu Reeves' Kickstarter book Ooh, that he did with Matt, Matt Kent and Ron Garney. Interesting. It's a absolutely wild concept. Is it, he going to sign books with You're Amazing? I imagine so. That'd and, be awesome. And like I, and I know we were having this debate on twitch.tv slash 67podcast with uh, Rich from 3FN about like the whole Kickstarter idea. Mm-hmm. And the more I'm thinking about it is I think they went Kickstarter because even though it's Keanu Reeves, yeah, how is the book going to be received? True. You know, So like I say, it's kind of like a different setup for it. And I know like Keanu could basically do whatever Keanu wants, and, yeah. and I'm sure he'd be all set yeah, there. Yeah, but I mean, I also know that's been done in, in other instances, specifically with video games, where you know 
there's not a huge financial backing with it, but like they turn to Kickstarter to get it going. Sometimes it's worked. Other times it's bitten them in the ass. Yeah. So I think that this is already something a little kind of crazy to think about for yeah. him doing, but for Kickstarter, that's something that's been happening a lot in the comic industry now. Right. And I know that uh, Snyder and Tony Daniel have a book called Nocturnal Noctura mm. coming out uh, via Kickstarter. I know David Pepos has a book coming out Kickstarter wise, the Oz, uh, Brian from cheers to comics is always talking about these uh, hmm. Kickstarter projects coming out. Cause I think a lot of creators are really trying to do that in this market because unless it's Marvel or DC, hmm. it's kind of a 50, 50 gamble in some aspects right yeah. now with the current climate. So, yeah. I mean, in my opinion, so yeah. I think this is kind of a smart idea for it. I'm just going to see who would really be interested with it because obviously when a movie star takes his talents or her talents to a comic, it doesn't always say box office boom. But this one was very interesting with like a half mortal, half God that's like a government agent. And it's like uh, it's a wild story. It's like half Conan, half uh, Exo Man or not Exo Man War, Iron Man, Hmm. which basically is Exo Man War, but it was like different. It was more. Like I say, more Conan than sci-fi, in my opinion, right. from what I got from the, the gist of it. But it's like he's working for the government, and they're covering up his violent uh, actions and they're because they get to experiment on him. Like, it's a freaking wild thing to hear, like, what's going on with this. So that being said, it is an interesting plot to watch and see what's going on with it. They've already said it's going to be 12 issues, and like I say, he's an, an eternal warrior that's like I said, he's half God, half mortal. Like it's just, it's something absolutely crazy to see like what's going on with this. But it's something that if you're a Keanu Reeves fan, you're going to definitely check out. It's it's a violent as all hex series. So mm-hmm. that being said, if you're definitely into it, go check it out on the Kickstarter.com projects page, and you can definitely find it and check it out. I mean, it was an interesting panel. Like I said, first time I heard about it, sure, because I heard some rumblings he was doing a comic, but I was like, what is this? And now it's like, okay, here we go. But next up to close out Friday, though, was Hulu. Mm. Now, Hulu had a monster schedule, no pun intended. Ah, I see what you did there. Because they kicked off. I mean, obviously, Friday night they did Books of Blood. Right. So they've been doing a lot of horror content lately. Mm -hmm. And this one was also talking about their Monsterland show coming out, Mm -hmm. which was very interesting. It's already started. There's eight episodes that started on October 2nd. They had uh, some of the cast on, including one Kelly Marie Tran oh, as part of it. Okay, Mike Coulter, who we know from yep. uh, Luke Cage. Yep. So it was a very cool show, just kind of talking about the short stories of you know what's going on here, and you got the vibe that okay, Hulu's really invested in this show, and the cast was had a lot to say about it. So this was something very fun, very exciting to check out, and like I said, it started October second. The big panel though from Hulu though. Mm-hmm. Modoc. Oh, okay. So this was the first Offenders show that we got to see. A lot of stop motion with one Pat Oswald voicing the. Uh, I, man, I don't. How do you even describe Modoc? I have no idea, and I've beaten him in a video game. Yeah, like he is a uh, cult following. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just to see where he's gone from being this really C-list villain in, yeah. in Marvel's history. That was honestly, I, I remember from a few other times he showed up on the animated stuff in the 90s of being very forgettable. Yeah. He, he, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Just That was just how he was presented. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, he's there. He he, he has this weird cult falling. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the only thing you can talk about. Like, you see him and he's just this ginormous head with stick figure arms and legs. Yeah. And it can float and is Modoc. Yeah. But Patton Oswald definitely uh, brought the funny to this. 
And like I said, the stop animation looked very cool because you hear about how AIM is more or less going out of business. And he is basically working uh, business deals with Grumble and uh, like another evil organization. You meet his family, so you meet his wife and his son, who is uh, invented in a lab, and Christ. like it, it just goes places. It looks freaking hysterical, though. Like this definitely lived up to the hype. So I am I'm I'm on board. Sure, I was on the fence about this. I am now sold on the show. I know that it's coming out sometime in 2021 because okay. uh, we didn't get a full release date. So unless right. they pull something super crazy, I'm guessing this is going to be 2021. No release date was announced for this. It's on Hulu right now. No, I'm kidding. It, you know, it could be one of those things that they drop out of nowhere. Probably. Because the fan reaction to this was very, very positive. I, oh, yeah. I have to really yeah. push this over. But to close out, though, for Friday was another Hulu show. It is one that I will admit is a very, very polarizing reaction here at the panel. Mm-hmm. Hulu's Hellstrom. Oh, yeah. So we did see the first 10 minutes of the first episode, which is premiering Friday, hmm. October 16th. Interesting. So all 10 episodes are going to drop then, too. Um, we know that this is more or less going to be one and done unless something really crazy happens with the ratings. Doubt it. Yeah. Like I said, well, I, no, you, you, know, you think it's going to go longer? No, no, I doubt no, it. I, no, I doubt it's going to go any longer. Yeah, that's what I, 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 I doubt it's. You were saying uh, unless something crazy happens, I doubt something crazy is going to yeah, happen. Yeah, I, I doubt it too. But who knows? We could be wrong, and this could really wind up being a super hit. Uh, they did have the cast on, and from what we could tell from the first episode, uh, it kind of reminded me a little bit of Lucifer. Mm. I mean, obviously, you know the character of Damien Hellstrom. You know there is a little connection, so to speak. Uh, very unique uh, person in the MCU mm-hmm. comics universe. So, obviously, where this show is going, the trailer it was a very hard to watch, though. It's just the lighting was kind of a little crazy. But to see where this is going to go moving forward, I'm going to give it a shot when it comes out on the 16th. And we'll kind of see where we go with it. And for Hulu, though, Hulu had a very strong Friday, i got to admit. So, Pad, before we wrap up Friday, mm-hmm. any final thoughts on that? A lot of great stuff. Almost hard to keep up with at times. And, you know, for, for his kind of questioning and wondering if this would live up to the hype it so far has yeah no definitely two days in it lived up to the hype i know we did recap shows every night on twitch.tv slash 607 podcast with the whole 607 podcast fam but for the odph it's been a win thus far we're going to actually sneak out get a quick break hit us up on the hashtag hashtag odph days one and two of new york comic-con what's your vibe what's your take what's your feelings we want to know we'll be right back Hey everybody, this is Nerd Bomber here, one of the co-hosts of the Online Warriors podcast. Our weekly podcast started as a way for three friends to keep in touch and discuss their passion for movies, gaming, technology, and entertainment. And since then, we've grown into a fantastic online community. Every Wednesday, we release a new episode discussing the latest nerdy news, and then we go hands-on with our weekly adventures and a fun trivia show. Sound interesting? Check us out on every podcast platform, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts, or hit us up at onlinewarriorspodcast.com. Hi, this is Tyler from Second Suitor, and you're listening to the ODPH Podcast. I want you to get it. I want you to understand. I'm doing the best I can, but not as good as I want to be. I just want to get it. I just want to comprehend that I have to make amends with the mind. Coming back for segment number two on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and we are still recapping the event that was New York Comic Con 2020. We gave you days one and two in the last segment. We're going to talk three and four in this one. And 
they did not take the foot off the gas pedal with this one. No. I have to admit, I was doing the original preview show, mm-hmm. and I was thinking Saturday was going to be a quiet day. Mm. Turned out to be a complete surprise. Oh. Uh, happily surprised, though. It's always good. Yeah. So for me, it kicked off with the Doctor Who Time Lord Victorious panel. Yeah. Now, this has been an absolutely wild story. And concept. Yeah. So, Pat, do you want to break it down a little bit? Yeah, so this is just, again, it's kind of in the same vein as the Star Wars High Republic thing, but I, but in this instance, it's comics, it's books. I think they're doing audio books as well, mm-hmm. where it and, and they're having multiple Doctors crossover. I know Chris, I think Christopher Eccleston is, is tagged to something in this at one point, you know, but they're involving Matt Smith's Doctor, they're involving David Tennant's Doctor, you know, it, it's just absolutely bonkers the places they're going with this. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy to hear where they came up with this concept and just for all the places they're going, comics, audio, novels, digital, escape rooms. Yeah, that's somewhere involved with it. Yeah. And I love how there was a, a blogger online, I want to say it's Blogger Who, mm-hmm. uh, posted this tweet and it was treated like the MCU. Mm. That you don't have to f- follow everything with the story, but you'll have a deeper appreciation for the story if you do. So that being said, it was a really cool concept. Like, and like I said, I heard from a couple other people online too that had the same concept. Mm-hmm. That you know, it's very MCU relatable too. Mm-hmm. So that being said, uh, I was very interested with this panel, especially how it's broken down. They were hyping up that we're going to have a, a Dalek Emperor figure. Oh boy, which has been long, long awaited. Mm-hmm. And they also showed a little bit of the preview of the Daleks animated series. Oh, okay. I think which, I've heard something about this. Yeah, which is coming to the Doctor Who YouTube channel. Oh, okay. In November. So uh, they did show this, and I will say this. The animation looked very old-school CG. Mm. So it, it's very, very easy to tell computer-based on this. Sure. Uh, it did. You know, it, it was what it was. I wasn't mad about it. Mm. Uh, very intrigued by it. Uh, so definitely want to give it a little view when it comes out in November. And we did hear about the mechanoids were coming back as well. Ooh. So they were deep diving in some Doctor Who history. So like I say, they, who had a strong weekend You know, from Friday, Saturday, and then we'll get to Sunday when we get to Sunday because mm-hmm. they had a mic drop moment if I've ever seen one. But they definitely started off Saturday right. I do have to give a quick shout-out, though. Uh, there was some very early morning panels that were diving into um, – doing origami and learning Japanese. Sure. And there was one panel I definitely want to give a shout-out to, which was how to draw manga mm. in 15 minutes. Good. Oh, Jesus. Mizaku rocks. Follow her on tw- on Instagram. Uh-huh. Super fun panel. Actually did it. Oh, cool. But I screwed up because I was drawing with pen. Ah, uh, okay. So I, gotta, I have to rewatch the video and do it in pencil, but Fair. it was working. It looked awesome. That's nuts. So, like I say, I didn't and, think I didn't think you'd be able to do that in 15 minutes, like legitimately. But I guess I'm wrong. Yeah, no, it legit. Oh. And like, I, I wish I still had it. So I'm gonna rewatch the video and try doing a pencil. Maybe I'll post it on IG. We'll see. But definitely follow her on IG. M I S A K O R O C K S. Awesome, awesome job. So I definitely want to give that a quick plug. Next up, though, was a, was a fun panel. It was a little tease, uh, mm-hmm. not exactly what I was expecting. Uh, Dark Knight's Death Metal matchup. Ah. So this one was a very cool concept. This was something that threw me for a loop. Jimmy Palmati was moderating this. And mm-hmm. we had Amanda Connor, Sanford Green, Francis Manipal, Mags Vizasio, and mm-hmm. they and Mark Wade. And they we're literally just going, okay, here is a classic DC Comics panel with no words. Rewrite it. Hmm. So they had the infamous one with Batman slapping Robin. You've seen it everywhere. <laughs> and they're all coming up with their own commentary. That's going to be hard to write for because there's been so many good quotes put with that that image. Yeah, so they start off with that. 
And then they had the tale of the two flashes, so you know how they did this on the TV show. Yeah, where yeah, yeah. You yeah. Had everybody run through the brick wall. They did the same thing there. Oh, and cool. They, they, it was just it was a fun panel. Like that, I just have to plug that. If you really want a good laugh, it was just fun. They're all kind of kicking around just different stuff to to post up there. So definitely worth the while to check out. Mm-hmm. But next up was one that Pad was very excited about, and I was listening to Sid Meier for the first time. Yeah. And this pad, you want to break down who Sid Meier is? Sid Meier is a legendary video game creator, and uh, you know one that really put video games on the map. Whereas before, you know, at one point they were just kind of like this niche art, uh, you know, genre or not even genre medium, where not a lot of people took it seriously. It was kind of this thing, but it, that, it's when they finally started. A lot of people started finally taking it seriously, and you could tell that stories could be told, and that there was there was something there. Yeah, Sid Meier was breaking down his uh, memoir book that is out. Yeah, uh, life and computer games. Mm-hmm. So it just came out in September. So it's definitely worthwhile picking up if you're a fan of the history of video games. And obviously, what he was talking about in creating uh, Civilization yep. and Railroad Tycoon. I didn't realize he was the person behind that. Like I've been oh, yeah. playing that one yeah. for a time on it. And just his overall thoughts on just gaming in general. Still got to answer why Gandhi likes to nuke people in that game. Yeah. It, it's a thing. Look it up on YouTube. It's wild. Yeah, I did not catch that if he did say it in the panel. But just talking about his, his startup and from 1982 yeah. to now, is like, it was just a wild and it's, and, it, and it's one of the games gaming stables, you know, that just... It's it's got its audience and it's got its its fandom and it, and it's people who like it, but it's one of those things that I've never played one, but even I know what the hell it is. Yeah, it was just something that it captured me enough that mm-hmm. I was like, okay, sounds like a very good book to read. So definitely something worthwhile checking out, especially yeah. hearing just the heart, you know hearing how somebody got enthralled with the life of video games and how to you know set the standard. Mm-hmm. Definitely a wild take on it, but it was something worthwhile checking out. Next up on my block was there was a little D&D block back-to-back, so to speak. Now, I have not heard of this group, Pad. You might have. The Ox Venturers? No, I don't think I have. So I will just read off the findthemetaverse.com preview for this. The heroes of the chaotic Dungeons & Dragons crew, the Ox Venturers Guild, find themselves once again transported to the fantasy realm of D&D into the sci-fi setting of tabletop RPG lasers and feelings. Mm. And this was a group that you know has a lot of fun, and they were just kind of doing like a a live-action D&D was kind of the vibe I got from it. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was fun, and I gotta say, from the viewership on it, they got a fan base because they all tuned in, and they were that's awesome. Def- yeah, so it was something worthwhile checking out. I am not the biggest D and D person. I've no. said this before on the show. I might be getting roped into the six oh seven podcast Twitch D and D gaming because I know uh, Rich and Diesel threw it out there, and it's like if I have time, I would not mind trying it hmm. i'm not gonna say i'm gonna go full on board with it there's a lot of great D podcasts out there you want to go check out stranger damies i'm talking to you uh because they do a phenomenal job i'll give them a free plug and uh, countless others that we're friends with on um in our podcasting ways here so this i could definitely understand the vibe from it so mm-hmm. we'll have to wait and see and, and how it rolls over and then they also were talking about a cookbook at the hmm. same time too. It was a separate panel, but it was Dungeons and Dragons and cooking. Hmm. So there is a D and D cookbook that's coming out. So it was, it was something, yeah, something a little fun. I mean, like I say, this is where you kind of find a con. So there's just like this little curveballs that you're not expecting, right? So it was something to check out if you're a fan of RPGs. You definitely got to go do that, and might have something up your alley. Yeah. But next was definitely a panel pad. I know you were amped up to hear about, and that's Smallville. Yes. So 20 years of fandom, Christ Almighty, friendship already. and flying, and this was a hysterical panel. Oh, I'm sure. The, they're, 
that's the thing with television shows, especially when you go long enough, you can't go for 10 years working on a show together, especially with uh, Tom Welling and Michael Rosenbaum and not become friends. Yeah, it was absolutely incredible. Sam Whitward also joined him, Laura yep. Van Vroot. And the stories they were telling yeah. were freaking amazing. Yeah. And you heard about like how um, Rosenbaum wanted to do the story about uh, body switching with with Tom Welling. That would have been incredible. Yeah, and because they because they kind of did they kind of did something like that because I can say this because I'm rewatching the series. Season one, there was an episode fairly early on. I want to say it was like within the first six episodes or so, where Clark and his class are on a science trip to the woods someplace, and they're looking for fossils. And one of the kids go, one of the classmates goes missing. And he goes, oh, I'll go find him. And the kid's kind of, he's in a rough spot at home. You know, his parents really don't like him. He doesn't really have a lot of friends. So he's ready to just like end it all and jump off a bridge. Well, he, you know, he's ready to jump. Thunderstorm pops up and he about falls off. Clark catches him. And because there's meteor rocks involved and, and he get Clark gets hit with lightning and it transfers his powers to this kid. And all of a sudden Clark is just average mannered, you know, no superpowers guy. And this guy has all of his powers. So they kind of did something like that, but what Michael Rosenbaum pitched would have been an amazing idea. Yeah, no, it definitely sounded dope. And it was something that they wish they did. They didn't give any tease that maybe they'd come back for a spinoff or, you know, a quick run mm-hmm. with the characters. But you never say never. It's yeah, awkward. yeah. They also gave some very funny stories. Uh, Sam Witwer was talking about naked body shaving. Yeah, I can imagine. Because uh, for those who don't know, he did play the human version because that was a controversial thing at the time. Uh, he did play the human version of Doomsday and he eventually became Doomsday as we know it, which would have been real weird because Superman timeline, he should have gotten his ass whooped yeah. at that point because he wasn't Superman quite yet. But eh, whatever. No, it would it would have been awesome. Yeah, no, the story is absolutely crazy, too. I mean, yeah, because, yeah, you have to hear him say it to, to fully justify it. But the story that I was dying at uh-huh. was Tom Welling was talking about, he was talking with John Schneider. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, Dukes of Hazard. Yeah, all played his father, John, right. Jonathan Kent. Yeah, so he was talking with him about uh, just the industry. And, and Schneider kept telling him, he's like, you know, kid, you're going to have to save your money. Sure. You know, I've been around for a while and oh, I, I'm he, hoping he heeded that advice. Yeah. It was just one of those uh, moments that he's like, you know, trying to pass along advice and, and really, you know, tip his hat. And he goes, Welling went on with this for three years. Like he never mentioned. Sure. Why, um, you know, that he knew he was on Dukes of Hazard until finally season three. Oh Christ. He says something. Uh, Schneider says something to him, and Welling goes, "Well, yeah, I remember you were on the Dukes of Hazard, and you were t- did the scene, blah blah blah." And like he named it verbatim, <laughs> and Schneider just kind of looks at him like, "Uh, uh, uh, like what do I say?" Because for the entire time, yeah. Schneider thought Welling had no idea that he was yeah. in TV. He thought he was just like some. Yeah, and I, rem- I remember like that was the big thing with with Schneider, and as I was reading this spoiler site years ago when I, when it was on that that they wouldn't refer to him as Jonathan Kent, they'd refer to him as like Bo Kent or something. Like yeah, that. yeah. I was like, they're like, oh, and Bo Kent in this episode, and I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, no, it was absolutely hysterical. So hearing those four talking their stories, it was great, a good nostalgia throwback. Nothing about would we ever see them again in those roles? Yeah, because you know, obviously everybody likes to throw that in yeah. there from time to time. Yeah, I like the story, uh, Tom told where uh he's he was telling his parents that he got the role he got the lean smile oh that's a good one and his mom goes wait so you're superman and he told her no 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 i'm not superman i'm clark kent 
and then she went, but that's Superman. And he goes, no, 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 I'm not Superman yet. And, I, and he said it's kind of this little thing that carries on where people come up to him and, and he plays Clark Kent and Clark Kent is Superman. They go, oh, you're Superman. And he goes, yeah, no, but yeah. So yeah. That was, a, that was a great story. Absolutely great time. So something that was probably the highlight for me for Saturday. Yeah. But then we go right into the Walking Dead block of panels. Mm. Now, I will say this. I was actually happily surprised with two of them, mm-hmm. and I was somewhat disappointed okay. with one of them. And it'll kind of throw you off of which ones were which. Okay. We kicked off with Fear the Walking Dead, and they gave uh, about first 10 minutes of the first up, uh, season premiere, which just happened, looked fantastic. Mm-hmm. I will say this. I have been very critical over the years of Fear the Walking Dead. Sure. I think it has dramatically improved ever since they added Lenny James to the show. I think that that has been the smartest move that they could have done for the longevity of the show. Sure. He has been phenomenal as Morgan Jones, and to extend this character and let him be the star is perfect. Where they went with this, I will just tease a little bit because I want to deep dive into this next week. Mm. They showed a bounty hunter. And how he was setting up and working for headhunting people is recaptured the horror and said he was going after Morgan because uh, somebody put a bounty out on his head. It looked absolutely great. The one thing that the producers were saying, Scott Kimpole and company, was is this is going to be told in anthology style for the stories this year. Mm-hmm. So the, the vibe is I'm getting is going to be told a lot like how Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was okay. in, in their blocks. Okay. Which, Which works. Perfect. Yeah. Absolutely perfect about it. Because I know they teased on the previous uh, day about the showrunner summit. Yeah. And there really honestly wasn't a lot to report about. They were sure. kind of just uh, shooting know, throw, shit. Yeah, they're just shooting shit and just throwing ideas up about like who would possibly be in uh you know uh one of the anthologies because it's gonna be called Tales from the Walking Dead. I know crazy yep. original, but yeah. and they were saying about broke. Yeah, and somebody threw out about the doctor from the C- CDC. That, oh, that died the first one. Oh, ooh, that'd be good. That was a real good that'd one. Like, good. I think somebody just threw that, and then I, I think a good. And now that I think about, it, I think a good anthology. And if, uh, folks at Walking Dead, if you're listening, you can feel free to use this idea. Uh, I think a good one would be like uh, Atlanta as it was falling. Yeah, they did have that Atlanta, oh. and they had uh, Virginia too. Oh, that'd be good. Yeah, so they were throwing out some really cool ideas for it. No timetable, no nothing with that. But Fear had a great panel. That's good. I I have to admit it. It was great. And then next up was World Beyond. Hmm. And I will say this, World Beyond had a great panel. Good for them. I was shocked at this because I will admit, and we're like I said, we're going to save a little more of the Walking Dead deep dive for next week. Mm-hmm. We are going to be talking the season finale, though, at least the way we're calling it, next segment. Air quotes, season yes. finale. But for what World Beyond did... It started out very strong, and I know when I was recapping with Rich uh, from 3FN, who has not watched The Walking Dead in I don't know how long, sure. was like freaking out about how good this was. Right. Because they do show about the kids now escaping from where they are, mm-hmm. and the cast was very excited about it. Like I say, I'm still not sold on the series, but the footage that we saw from Episode 2 mm. was very, very cool. And I think once they get down to... The them versus the zombies in that kind of approach, mm-hmm. I think that that's where the show is going to work when they go dark. Yeah, when they get really into source material, and what I mean by source material is they're not afraid to pull punches. They're that's always good. Yeah, they they got back to a sense of early Walking Dead yeah. per se. Yeah, per se. Yeah, but for this show, I really liked this panel. I was very on board with it. The one that I thought was very disappointing was the actual Walking Dead panel, which is a bummer. Well, it was just basically everybody sitting around saying the same old thing. Yeah. 
and over and over. The one saving grace I will give it, though, is Norman Reedus and Jeffrey Dean Morgan and uh, one other cast member jumped in the live chat. Okay. So even though it was pre-taped, they were in the YouTube chat that's, that's good. and talking with fans. I mean, in terms of the actual panel, I can understand them not saying anything because I they're in the middle of filming it. So their their hands are probably kind of tied in that aspect. Yeah, it was, but it was like also at the same time, it was like, ah, like it just kind of seemed like you're going through the motions. Like, sure. Like everybody else had this real good energy about them. And it seemed like everybody except Norman and uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan were just like there. In sure, my sure. But I think in the other instance, you know, with with uh, World Beyond, okay, that's all filmed. They're all done with. Mm-hmm. Fear the Walking Dead, same thing. That's all done. They're all done with. So like, they can tease and hint at things because they know what's coming and they're not going to get in trouble. You know, in Walking Dead's aspect, like I said, they're still freaking filming. Like, eh, it's early on in the process. Yeah, no, I, I get that, but I was like, I figured they would say at least something. Yeah, and yeah. they really were keeping everything just pretty plain and dry. Yeah. And I was like, okay. Yeah, so I think the only thing we got out of it was uh, Scott Gimple talking about the Rick Grimes movie again. Yeah. He, he mentioned something about that, and he yeah. said Michonne would be returning at some point. Well, now, he, yeah, the, uh, he said they're working on it, wouldn't go into any, any further detail. Uh, and then Angela Kang, uh, bu- 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 said, uh, she ended up teasing fans that they may learn more about Rick and Michonne in the extra six episodes that were ordered for season 10, airing yeah, sometime in the spring. So maybe we get some hints from Judith. Maybe we get some hints from Maggie. Maybe, maybe Michonne ran into Maggie and her travels. Yeah, so we get something out of that. I mean, that's the only thing we can kind of look forward to. But yeah, it was just pretty much wash, rinse, repeat. Like I say, nothing really stuck stuck out to me too much. I was hoping we got a little more information about the sideshows. They were just talking more sure. about like, well, Darren and Carol, Darren and Carol. I was like, okay, I still, get I, they probably haven't even written scripts for that right. Yet. Which I was just kind of like, okay, why are we even bringing it up? You know, sure. Like it, I, I guess I know I'm a little extra critical of it, but I expect more from them because I've gone to their panels live. Right. I remember when they used to be the hottest ticket at NYCC. Yeah. And now it's like. Mm. We'll wait and see. Sure. But overall, I mean, Walking Dead had a great day. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have to say, the, t- the two surprises were very good surprises, so I was sold on that. Yeah. Next up was the Hunger Games panel. Oh, yes. Now, this was uh, talking with Nina Jacobson, who is a producer of the Hunger Games films, mm-hmm. and also David Leviathan, who was the publisher of the books. Yep. So they're kind of talking a little behind-the-scenes stuff going on with the story and how they brought it to life. I didn't catch where they said they were doing a prequel series. Uh, there's a book. Uh, there's a book that came out. Uh, bu- 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 when did it come out? June? July? Okay. Some point in the, it, within this year. Earlier this year, there is a prequel book set 70 years, I want to say, before the Hunger Games books itself mm-hmm. uh, that came out. I've, I've still got to read it. I've got a lot of books i got to read. Yeah. Uh, I'm very excited for it. I've heard very good things. Yeah, I didn't really catch too much of it. I'm not the biggest Hunger Games sure. person in the world, but I know you are, so yeah. I was like trying to catch up on it and just like... I was a little confused by that because everybody in the chat started lighting up about prequel, prequel. Well, like, they may... Go. I mean, if the book's good enough, uh, i got to look up who the actor is that played the book is based off of the character uh president snow when he was in the hunger games if i'm not mistaken i got a god i can picture the guy's face but i can't remember uh who the actor was it woody, woody harrelson no no well woody harrelson is in the movie no who is this guy i'm looking through the names it's going to jump out at me as soon as i see it you gotta forgive me i'm gonna pause for effect here do, 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 do. looking through it oh christ what's the guy i got Donald Sutherland. That's what okay. it is. Uh, Donald Sutherland plays President Snow in the movie. So maybe if they get Donald Sutherland to play him in the in the movie in this movie, if they do decide to do a prequel movie, I'd be all for it. Yeah, I mean, there'd definitely be a fan base for it. I yeah. mean, obviously the chat was very interactive, so that's what I was trying to pick up on stuff with. Yeah. It. 
But it's going to be something to have to wait and see about. Mm-hmm. Out, though, next was the Batman Death in the Family animated Oh, film. yeah. Now, this we've talked about many times. It is now out on digital Blu-ray combo. Oh, yes. Because uh, it started October 13th. And this was talking about, obviously, the 1988 story, which is the fate of one Jason Todd. Mm-hmm. So this was a very interesting panel. We did see some more footage about it. Uh, I am very interested to watch this because it's going to be done in choose-your-own-adventure style. And I just want to see how interactive it's going to be. So I'm very interested to see this. We have to give, though, a quick plug to our good friend Dre Driven because mm-hmm. he did make a live reaction video to this on his Twitter page. And one Vincent Martella responded because he voices Jason Todd because, ah. because Dre even said, he goes, yo, you got to kill Jason Todd. We get the red hood. <laughs> and he, he just put a point blank and, and Vincent replied back to him. He said, wait, you really want to kill me off? Like it was a cool, fun yeah. back and forth. Between yeah. them, so you definitely got to do that. He should be following Dre anyway. He's awesome. So this movie though, I'm very excited to see. I, I've heard kind of a little mixed on reviews early, but we know what we're expecting from this. Right. So I'm just more curious about how interactive we're going to be with the film. So definitely something to keep in mind for. Mm-hmm. Next on my list, though, Pad, mm-hmm. was the one-on-one with Paul W.S. Anderson. Oh, okay. Now, he is the director behind uh, Mortal Kombat Number 1. He has a new movie coming out called Monster Hunter based uh, off the Capcom game. Okay. Or it's Capcom's Monster Hunter. So Mila Jovovich, Tony Yaa. T.I. Mm-hmm. is in this, and they're basically hunting big, big monsters. Sign me up. I'll say that's, that's, that's enough for me. Yeah. I don't need that much. I'm definitely into it, so I kind of want to see what we're going to have here. So that being said, have you ever played the video game? Uh, no. I've, I've seen gameplay of it, though. It looks it looks like a lot of fun. Yeah, it definitely looks like I haven't played it, and, and I'm just very interested to see how he does, and if it's anything like Mortal Kombat number one, all right, yeah. I'm definitely in for it. And then coming up, though, was a surprise panel for me to close out Saturday. And I, what I mean by this is I knew about this movie. Mm-hmm. I know the director. Mm-hmm. We were not exactly a fan of his X-Men franchise film, uh, which was Dark Phoenix. But uh, the 355 yes. panel was definitely a surprise hit for me. That's good. It was a surprise. I have to give a quick plug, though. It was not the biggest surprise of the weekend because mm-hmm. I was so enamored with this other panel mm-hmm. that I was going to mention it and give its own shine on Sunday, even though it was on Thursday. So mm. this was my second surprise hit panel of the weekend, though, for the 355. Mm-hmm. And Jessica Chastain was leading uh, the cast and crew on, along a breaking down the spy thriller mm-hmm. and just how much was going into it. Lupita Nyong'o, who we know from Black Panther. Yep. Diana... Diane Kruger was in this as well. And it had a little cameo from one Sebastian Stan who jumped in the the thread. And they were really talking about this uh, female-led espionage film. Action sequences look good. Everything about this looked good. I'm very excited about this, so we'll have to see what's going on. And like I said, this was my second biggest surprise uh, panel of the weekend. Yeah. The film is due in theaters, asterisk, January 15th. (laughs) We hope. We hope. I'm desperately hoping we get some movie theaters open. But... I can only push for so much. But it was not the biggest surprise panel of the weekend. I guess I should just jump right into it because I was going to mention this later, but Quibi had the biggest surprise panel of the weekend. Okay. It was Marvel vs. DC, the Russo brothers, and Kevin Smith talking superheroes on Slugfest. Mm. Now, this is a brand-new show that's coming out on Quibi. 
and the Russo brothers are executive producers. And they are talking about the Marvel versus DC competition and story, but you know, yeah. relationship between each other. And the first episode, they are breaking down how Captain America was created. Mm. And you see one Brandon Roth is playing one of the creators. Oh, okay. So it, they definitely had a lot of star power with this. It was an exciting panel. Yeah. It was a very, very big surprise of how good this was. Like I said, I wanted to give it its own shine, but if I'm talking about panels of the weekend, this was my biggest surprise panel, and mm-hmm. this definitely lived up to the expectations. Yeah. Could not hype this up even more. Uh, when this comes out in November, it's going to be something you definitely want to go check out. Uh, they sent us some very nice promotional art, so we say thank you to them as well. Yeah. Uh, we were definitely hyped up about this and cannot wait to see where we are going with this series. Uh, for Quibi, I don't know a lot about, but I'm definitely locked in for this panel, yeah. for the show when it comes out. It looked freaking fantastic. And just to hear the stories about how Captain America was created, we see a young Stan Lee mm. in, in this as well. So it's just such a cool throwback. But overall, I mean, like I say, Comic-Con has been delivering. We're three days in. So to take it home, we go to Sunday. Now, Sunday's usually the quiet day, Pat. Yeah, usually. Uh, Kids Day, I think, is what it's usually known as uh, at New York Comic-Con proper. But something tells me they didn't just keep it quiet. No, we had another big Doctor Who panel. Okay. And they were talking about the Lonely Assassins, which is the mobile device game. Oh, interesting. Featuring the Weeping Angels. Uh Uh-oh. Don't blank. Yes. And we saw the Edge of Reality console game coming Hmm. out, which is going to feature Jodie Whittaker and David Tennant. Uh, Sold. Yep. Sold. On all platforms coming out 2021. Phenomenal job by BBC Studios. Uh, Everything they did Doctor Who this weekend was a win. Absolute win. Going into a little later of the day, because like I said, Sunday was a little more quiet day, but they did, definitely had some home runs. Mm-hmm. We had the Happy Halloween Scooby-Doo. So if you're a fan of Scooby-Doo, mm-hmm. this was something up your alley because they had Frank Welker. Oh, okay. Doing his 50th year of voicing Fred Jones. Good for him. Yeah, absolutely crazy. And 18th doing Scooby-Doo. That was like the That's crazy nuts. stat. Yeah. That's nuts. Greg Griffin, uh, who did her 30th year as Daphne Blake. Wow. Matthew Lillard. Doing, Pat, do you want to take a guess at how long he's been doing Shaggy? Oh, wait. Oh, how long did Casey Kasem do him? Because that's 60s. I'm going to guess at least 20. 18 years. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was blown away by that set. Because I, I know Casey Kasem was the guy who did it for the longest time. And, and you know, that started in the 60s. And I know he, and I was trying to think of when he died, and I know he wasn't doing him in the end, so I was trying to ballpark, but hey, that was close. Yeah, no, absolutely. And Kate Minchucci, it did Velma for th- five years. Right. So definitely it was a little fun panel if you're a fan of Scooby-Doo. I know they had a Flintstone one. I didn't check that one out, though. But it was, like you said, it was geared more towards the family sure. today, so sure. they definitely delivered on that. Uh, but also a couple big ones that I had on my list was Valiant Heads to Hollywood, mm. and it was a roundtable of what's going on with Valiant Comics. I always preach, don't sleep on Valiant. They put out a ton of great work. Mm-hmm. And this panel was no doubt in this. They teased about The Harbinger, which is going to be the next big feature film they have coming out. Yeah. Uh, we also got some updates about Ninjak, Bloodshot, Exo Man of War, Rai, Shadow Man. The artwork in Shadow Man looked dope as all blazes, too. Mm-hmm. And we had just a little br- brief roundtable of creators for Valiant joining in, Jackson Lansing, Colin Kelly, Jeff Parker, Dennis Hopeless, uh, and senior editors Heather Antos and Liza Hawkins were also in. So this was definitely just a fun panel. And like I say, if you don't know a lot about Valiant, now is a perfect time to jump on. They did tease about some new video game news coming out. Hmm. They didn't show anything. But 2021 is looking like a huge year for Valiant Comics, which is awesome to see. Yeah, it's good for them. Yeah, so and I'm very interested to see what the Harbinger is going to be. 
But it was not the big panel of the day for Sunday, though. No. Time for Animaniacs. Yeah, I can't wait. So this panel was living up to the hype. Uh, If I read these names off, I know you're going to mark out about it. Rob Paulson. So good. Tress McNeil. Yep. Jess Harnell. Jess Harnell, yep. And Maurice LaMarche. Yep. Uh, All were on there talking about the show, history about it. We did see a preview of the new episodes coming out in November. Holy shit, it looks so good. Yes, which they tied it into Jurassic Park. (laughs) Because, of course, they did. Because if you don't know, Steven Spielberg is one of the people who was behind the creation of Animaniacs. Yes, it was dope as all could be. And it was something you definitely want to go check out. And obviously, we're sold about that November 20th. Oh, my God, I cannot wait. Because I'm very interested. For those of you who may not remember, you can look it up on YouTube. Animaniacs pushed the boundaries. And there were some very over-your-childhood-heads jokes in that show. Yeah. That I'm wondering, are they going to are they gonna pull the same punches uh, this time around? Or is it going to be uh, kind of held back a little bit? We'll see. Yeah. it was. I'm hoping it's still the same. Yeah. I, I have a vibe. I have a feeling it's going to. Like, you can definitely tell. Everybody's super amped up to be there. Yeah. They're very excited for it. And, yeah. And, obviously, you bring that energy to the show. I mean, they did announce Pinky and the Brain are going to be on there as well. God, I can't wait. And, and I hope the jokes are still there because there's one that comes to mind from the original run where they were in uh you know around the time that the thanksgiving was happening in you know colonial america and this pilgrim says to him uh give me the bird and, and one of the warner brothers goes we'd love to but the fox censors won't allow it yeah it's, it's humor like that that wins them over to an older audience as well so november 20th on hulu they're gonna have a big big premiere day we'll be probably live tweeting the hell out of that one i can mm-hmm. fully think on that and then also on sunday though skybound entertainment's 10th anniversary good for that so this is robert kirkman's company and mm-hmm. he was kind of teasing a little bit about where they're going uh, a couple of big notes of this if you're into skybound they're doing an expo online i believe october 30th mm. uh and then he was during between the history he was answering some fan questions now this was something very cool i don't think this will work for everybody okay some fan goes hey can i get a foil uh negan lives <laughs> and kirkman goes because he had the balls to ask? Yes. Anybody else? No. Good so for him. They got an address. They're mailing him the the foil red foil cover. Good for him. Yeah. And they're asking, uh, somebody else asked what his dream projects would be. Okay. Uh, his wish list, Death Race 2000. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't see that one coming. Interesting. He said he really wanted to do that at some point. And Transformers, which would sure, be. Yeah, sure. I, I, fully, I, see that. I see that. I fully bought that. And then he hinted some more Walking Dead news. Well, because he can't let that stay dead. Huh. No. Uh, he was praising the show, praising the current current run. So, sure. And obviously uh, had a lot of nice things to say. But he also, again, threw some gas on a fire that we have been talking about for a while. So that didn't need it thrown on there. More Clementine. Oh, yes, please. Didn't say what. Didn't yes, say, please. Didn't say any more details. If it was a new video game, if it was a new comic. But we should be, he heavily hinted about Clementine returning mm-hmm. in some various form. So a lot of, like, interesting story you had about that. Yeah. Uh, there was another panel, though, on Sunday that definitely caught my attention, and it was the story behind The Legend of Zadi with Gail Simone and Jim Califori. Mm. And this was a uh, comic that they're teaming up with travelers to discuss about the dangers of distant, or distracted driving. Mm. And it's a story about Zadi, who was a three, uh, three-year-old who was un- unfortunately killed in an accident of distracted driving. Yeah. The, um, and... They created the legend of Z-Hawk and mm. Gail Simone and Jim California, along with uh, uh, Zadi's uh, mother, was, yeah. on the, was on the panel. And they 
had the comic uh, online, so you could check it out. It was a very good read. Like yeah. I said, they did a very nice job. Um, I mean, obviously a heartbreaking story and the reason behind it, but it's cool that they're bringing attention to the dangers of distracted driving. So uh, this was just a panel that had a lot of great um, uh, message behind it as well. I mm-hmm. mean, obviously continuing uh, Zadi's legacy on in the, in the book form. It's something worth checking out. The panel was on uh, my, my or find the me, the metaverse.com. It had a booth set up so you can go check it out. I believe it's still online as well. So you definitely want to go check that. And then closing out my Sunday. Yeah. You know, I got to talk Stargirl. Oh yeah. You know, I was talking Stargirl on this one and for what it delivered, uh, we had the cast on and I have to correct myself because on the live stream I said Supergirl. Uh oh. Because I got so amped up because I was so excited to hear what was coming to Stargirl. Breck Bassinger and company were on. They were given a little uh, teasers for what's coming next season. Sure. We do know Eclipso is coming, and they kind of deep dived about he would be the major bad guy. We did hear more about the Shade mm. coming, who's also going to be uh, dominating the season as well. We did get a little more clues that we are going to see more JSA members popping up. Hmm. That They didn't go into full detail, so if anybody's thinking we're going to see Alan Scott or Jay Garrick get introduced, temper the expectations for now. Hmm. But they did say that the infamous pen will be addressed. So I was excited to hear that. I think the obviously Stargirl has been one of my favorite shows to come out. Yeah. And definitely delivered on all fronts. And then the last show to close out Sunday was Quick Bites of Fright. Sam Raimi and more about Quibi's darker side. Ah. And they were showing off uh, some behind-the-scenes details of 50 States of Fright, which looks scary as all hell. A uh, lot of short stories going on with this. this. The footage looked amazing. So if you're into horror, this mm. is going to be something up your alley. Overall, who do you think won New York Comic Con? Uh, I have to go Amazon Prime. They came yeah. in hard. They came in fast. And it, they dominated early on. I agree, too. I thought Amazon took gold. I will say Hulu took silver. Okay. And I will say BBC took bronze. Good. Oh, okay. I, I think it was a split between Marvel and DC. Mm-hmm. The biggest surprise was Quibi. Yeah. Quibi, I thought, did an amazing job with their panels. Especially since they're trying to sell themselves. Yeah. Which like, is weird. With everything going on, the, I thought they had one of the best presentations of all con. That's especially. Good. I wasn't too impressed before like with what I've seen from them, but I was sold right. on all this. Right. So for me, I thought that they had a con. And just for everybody behind the scenes at Read Pop, MCM uh, Metaverse, New York Comic Con, thank you for what you did. Because mm-hmm. you set the blueprint for how we should be doing digital cons. This was the best one I've seen all year. Mm-hmm. Even topped DC Fandom. I'll be straight up about it. This had something for everybody. I know the site is still active. So even if you go to NewYorkComicCon.com, it'll direct you right to findthemetaverse.com. The videos, I believe, are still up on YouTube at youtube.com slash NYCC. They are. So definitely check them out while you can. There's something for everybody. The merch store is going on as well. You definitely want to remember this event because for everything that's gone in 2020, this has been a phenomenal thing to be a part of. Mm -hmm. So that being said, we're going to take a quick break, get a little rehydrated. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What was your overall thoughts of NYCC this year? If you want more deeper dives, we can talk about it on social media at ochoduroparleyhour.com or head over to twitch.tv slash 67podcast and you can catch the live reaction videos and we can keep that discussion rolling. We'll be right back. Hi everyone, this is Mark, the DM for Stranger Damies. What is Stranger Damies, you ask? Well, we're just a bunch of first-time D&D players exploring the world of Tal'Dorei 30 years after the events of the Coma Conclave, which was made famous on Critical Role. Join us every week as we roll some dice, make some mistakes, but most importantly, we have fun. 
New episodes air every Wednesday at strangerdamies.podbean.com or on your favorite podcast streaming app. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at StrangerDamies. And is it Wednesday yet? Hey, this is Johnny Moose from Excite Wrestling, and you're listening to the ODPH. I didn't mess it up. I thought I would. Right now, back to the guys. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and we are finally getting around to talking about the Walking Dead yes. quote unquote season finale. Yes. A certain doom finally came out. Directed by one Greg Nicotero. You yeah. might have heard of him. Yes, because the last time we were talking live Walking Dead was in April. Yes. So October 4th was the day. Obviously, we were too hyped up for New York Comic Con to talk about it, but we have time today to talk about it. So we yeah. are talking spoilers. If you have not seen the episode yet and you want to avoid it, we give you fair warning now, because we're going to deep dive into it in three, two, one. Pad, what did you think? It was okay. You know, it wasn't the greatest season finale ever. It wasn't the worst. It was okay. It was all right. Yeah, I agree with you. This was early spoiler about a six in my book. Okay. I, I could maybe stretch one thing to seven, but I, I will break down why. Because where we jump in, obviously, this is the end of the Whisper War. Yep. Beta is leading the horde mm-hmm. of thousands of walkers to the hospital where everybody's camped up. You have a one group that is separated. That's Eugene, Ezekiel, Yumiko, and Princess. Mm-hmm. You have other members of the survivors separated as well. Beta is on a one mission to destroy everybody, a, a one-man suicide mission. I mean, yep. That's honestly what it is. Pretty much. And once we get diving into it, all the other survivors that are outside are trying to sneak and, and really try helping everybody with this, with the surrounding uh, horde around them. Daryl and company are trying to get everybody out of there in mm-hmm. one piece. Yep. And they do the old trick about you know covering themselves in zombie guts. Yeah. And sneaking Seen it out. before. It works. Yeah, it's happened. We did have one minor fatality along the way. Yeah. And that was Beatrice. Which, yet again, The Walking Dead was scared to go kill off a major character. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, Beatrice was not moving the needle. No. And I understand how they did it. She got stabbed in the leg because Whisper decided to try taking her out. Yeah. And was expendable Carol had to leave her behind, a la what Shane did to Otis way back when. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, everybody forgot about that. But it's like, this has happened before. Is it saying Carol has snapped like she has? No. It's still cold-blooded, though. It's cold-blooded, but let's face it. We go through these waves with Melissa McBride's portrayal as Carol. And it's nothing against her. True. It's just how the character is written. True. Carol goes through these waves where she's an ice-cold psycho to, like, an emotional, fragile human being that breaks down every 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. It's just how the character is written. Is it a bad thing? No. But is it something that comes in, like, what Carol is going to stand up? Please inform us. Yeah. Because we know that Norman Reese's Daryl Dixon has been leading the group since Rick Grimes has left, mm-hmm. you know, with the Civil Republic, as they're now being known as. Yep. And we know they're stuck with Jeffrey Dean Morgan's Negan and... We're seeing just the ramification of the group that's standing out. I mean, Cassie, Cassidy McClint sees Lydia's also become a major f- player in the group, too, which that yeah. was something out of nowhere. So they're the ones leading the drive out of the hospital, where you see Gabriel, of all people, is leading the uh, protection group. Which, which is, was weird. Yeah, which is, yeah, I'm sorry, that was just a weird scenario that uh, with him, with the uh, fighters from the kingdom that are now with the group, uh, were landing arrow shots to give them a, a chance to escape. Meanwhile, they were stuck in the hospital. 
and we see that the horde is working their way up. But lo and behold, who comes in saving the day but Maggie with somebody that, uh, okay, is fully head-to-toe with knives and swordsman skill, and we don't know who this person is. Nope. I'm not saying it's Michonne. I'm going to say that right now. But is definitely using sharp knives like Michonne. Mm Mm-hmm. And they wind up going rescuing everybody out of there because Carol's letters finally got in, in in Maggie's possession. So she now knows what's been going on. Finally. Yeah, finally, which is like, thank you for joining the crowd. Meanwhile, you have Daryl and company escaping because they're now leading everybody away yep. with the horde because they're playing Burning Down the House by Talking Heads. Which was good. Yeah, which was good. I mean, That was good. It, it was good, and it obviously it made the right sense because you want to get everybody away with the whispers. What was the end game going to be? Who knows? Because like it's just kind of a, a really quick way to get everybody out of there because the whispers eventually overtake the sound system, and now we have the final standoff. Mm-hmm. So in one corner, we have Negan, Daryl, Lydia, and the other corner, you have Beta with whispers and zombies. Yeah. Which we have Beta thinking he's finally won, even though he's now getting his final match with Negan. He gets the one-upsmanship because, remember, Negan did kill Alpha. That's true. So Beta is trying to, you know, obviously listen to the voices in his head like Randy Orton <laughs> and trying to give him a punk to the head and just take everybody out. But during this battle, Daryl comes in to make the save, which uh-huh. I, which how strange is this world now that Daryl is defending Negan? Which, which and I, I know I saw some reactions online for some people who hadn't watched. Those people who hadn't watched Walking Dead since Glenn got killed off. They were confused as all hell. Yeah. This like, w- what world is, what show is this that Daryl's now working with Negan? I'm like, oh, there's somebody who hasn't watched in a while. Yeah, this is uh, the friend of, uh, the enemy of my friend is my friend. Like, it's a weird. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Thank you, yeah. It, it's just such a weird thing. I can't even say it because watching those two work together, it's just like, oh, there's something so wrong about this. So wrong, but it's awesome. It's awesome, too. And then you see Daryl do the Wolverine saber tooth moment of the night where he stabs Beta in both eyes. That was nuts. Yeah. I did not see that coming. And then Beta just, like... (laughs) Doesn't he try to pull him out and keep going? Yeah. Which, I mean, kudos to him. Yeah. I mean, like I say, Ryan Hurst has done a phenomenal job as Beta. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bar none. Like, you can't take anything away from him. And his portrayal has really carried this season, so I'm sad to see him get killed off, but Mm -hmm. we all knew this was happening. Yeah. And how he goes out, he just kind of sacrifices himself, takes off the mask, and lets himself get eaten. And I do like Jeffrey Dean Morgan's comment as Negan, he goes... Yo, do you know who that is? And Daryl's like, nobody. <laughs> that, was, that was good. Yeah, it was just cold-blooded and yeah. as all could be. So, like I say, that part was okay. It wasn't the big fight I was expecting because we've seen Daryl and Beta throw down before. I mean, Dar- Beta survived falling down an elevator shaft. True, for God's sake. true. So the fact he, he walks out of this in, in one piece is, is a little far-fetched in my book. Yeah. But Beta's consumed by the walkers, and then you have Carol leading the horde over a cliff. Mm-hmm. to kind of give everybody away, which I have to say, I've said it before, I'll say it again. The fact that you announced there's a spinoff show with Daryl and Carol, this killed any suspense for me. Yeah. So this entire moment, if you had Lydia do this? Sure. Okay, I would have been like, okay, wow. She's or even, or even uh, Gabriel. Yeah, if you had Gabriel, if you had somebody do this, other than Daryl and Carol, I would be like, okay. Like, I thought Ezekiel should have done it. Right. I think that would have made more sense. But obviously he's not with the group. Obviously, you know he's with the Eugene and company. Yep. But you need to have somebody else to do this, and you didn't. So obviously the whole suspenseful moment of the horde going over the cliff it was null and void. 
And it's like Lydia saves her. And now there's like that weird kinship going on there where, you know, will she be the new mother to Lydia, mother mm-hmm. figure to her? Who knows? Meanwhile, going on at the same time, you do see Eugene's group is trying to make it back. They get captured by armored soldiers. Mm-hmm. And this is a very, very notable thing in the comics. This is a brand new world. They're setting up the Commonwealth. Yep. We do know what's happening here. So we'll have to wait and see what transpires. Mm-hmm. And during this whole mix, too, Connie is lost, and she's found near Oceanside. So what is that going to pray tell into next season? Hmm, I don't know. Hard to say. But then you also have the happy moment ending where Maggie's reuniting with everybody. Oh, by the way, have you seen Negan's hanging around there? Yeah. Because that'll be have to be addressed first episode they come back. Yep. So, like I say, overall, it was a good episode. Yeah. It wasn't great. It wasn't the big, traumatic season finale that we've had in years past. Mm. I feel that The Walking Dead has played it too safe, and I think they did it yet again. I think the fact that you telegraphed any move with Carol or Daryl being involved has really hurt your show, in my opinion. Yeah. I think that had you had anybody else but those two lead the walkers over the cliff, I think it would have added more drama. Mm-hmm. I think it would have made more sense. Yeah, totally. I think the fact that you had Daryl walk out of there unscathed, I think you had Carol walk out of there unscathed, even though we saw her go Shane for a hot second. Yeah. I think didn't really do anything to move the needle. It was No, it was, I mean, it's, it's kind of like a Lord of the Rings Legolas complex they had where, you know, if you watch Lord of the Rings films, by and large in those films, a lot most of the main characters will get banged up, they'll get bloody, they'll get dirty, they'll get grimy. But then there's Legolas who comes out spotless and clean as ever. Yeah, and I think that really hurts this episode. That for being the end of the Whisper War, you had no casualties. Yeah, no, it was it was kind of a letdown, all things considered. I was expecting more, and I was expecting, a, you know, not a huge body count, but I was expecting some people to die because you can't have an end to a quote-unquote war without losing people. Yeah. Unless we're talking Cold War. Yeah. You know, but still, I was expecting some body count, and I didn't really get that. Yeah, you, when you had Gabriel and company trapped in the, in the hospital and they get saved by Maggie, nobody got killed there. Yeah. You had Beatrice get killed, but then again, who is Beatrice? What, what is, is Beatrice? Beatrice? You don't have any major characters that got killed off. So no. why is the emotional toll taken of what this gravity is? The only thing that you had go right was Beta getting killed in a final fight with Daryl. Mm-hmm. And like I said, he went Wolverine on him to his saber tooth. That was a great moment. That was yeah. the only redeeming moment of this show like for this episode. Mm-hmm. Right? And like I said, I struggle with that because we have the capability of going a lot more places. You have one more season left. Why are we playing it safe? Yep. Like, it's just a waste to even say this was a whisper of war or a certain doom. For who? I didn't see it. I'm sorry. I have to give this a grade of 6 out of 10. I, I'm i sorry. It's just the same old stuff week in and week out now. Yeah. And I want to see more. The show has been able to do more. Why are we scared to go there? You've already announced the final season's happening. And I'm sure that that plan was in place by the time you were filming this episode. Why are we being safe? Why? Why, Pat? Why? I don't know. I need answers. So final thoughts on this episode. Okay, episode. Nothing to really write home about. I'm hoping they do more with the uh, bonus episodes that are coming sometime uh, next year. Yeah, I agree, too. Whenever they drop and they said spring 2021, Yeah, give me something more than what I've seen. Because if it's wash, rinse, repeat, The Walking Dead should stay dead. I'm sorry. Like I'm, I'm at that stage with it that I was really excited to see what they were going to do. I was hoping, okay, big finale, big whisper war. Are we going to get something? No. We have one minor character get killed off, and I'm supposed to say, oh, sorry. Yeah. 
You, you didn't connect. No. The fact that you played it way too safe with Daryl and Carol and Negan, you really lost me on it. And I'm sorry, Maggie's return, great, but now she's running around with a masked group that is going and is basically like a kill squad. Like, yeah. what is what is this? Who is this? What like just too many questions that. I'm sorry, at this stage in the game, I'm just not emotionally attached to. Like you said, you had some good moments. The talking head music, great moment. Yeah. Perfect moment. And also, Daryl killing Beta. Perfect. Albeit, though, way too short of a battle. Yeah. You know, for what the build-off is. Pretty much. And for Beta, like I said, Beta was the same in Grace of this episode, even though he wasn't in it that long. Ryan Hurst has been your MVP this season, and I'm sad to see him go. But when we see when our favorite uh, zombie survivors come back in 2021, I'm hoping for a better show and a more focused direction to finish it out strong. Hit us up on that hashtag, though. Hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts about the season finale of The Walking Dead? Did you love it? Did you hate it? And why? Let's talk. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Brian Wolf from Fair City Fire. You are listening to ODPH, the greatest podcast in Binghamton. Woo! Coming back for the final segment of this edition of the ODPH Podcast and Time Talk One-Shots, Pad. Yeah, so got a couple things to talk about. Uh, first off was one that's long been rumored, long been discussed, but it finally got confirmed, and that is the Mad Max spinoff Furiosa is in the works at Warner's with George Miller directing and Anya Taylor-Joy in the title role. Uh, and then also you have Chris M- Chris Hemsworth is along for the ride. Uh, so this coming courtesy of uh, the folks over at Deadline, uh, which reads, quote, George Miller told Deadline about Furiosa having a deep backstory in the Mad Max universe, and now we'll finally get to see it. Warner Brothers is in advanced development with Furiosa, a spinoff feature of Miller's multi-Oscar winning blockbuster Mad Max Fury Road about the renegade character played in that film by Oscar winner Char- Charlize Theron, uh, who was a notable force in Max's survival in the desert. The, sur- the standalone movie will reveal the origins of Furiosa and be played by glass actress Anna Taylor-Joy in the title role. The, mu- the movie will track the genesis of Furiosa before she teamed up with Max uh, Rock and Stanky, apologies if I butchered that name, and Fury Road. Fury Road. Uh, Chris Hemsworth and Yaha Abdul Mateen II will also star in the mo- in a movie uh, that Miller will also direct, co-write, and produce with his longtime Oscar-nominated producing partner Doug Mitchell. Miller's own Australian-based Kennedy uh, Miller Mitchell Banner will produce. So, for those of you who like Mad Max, and I know there's a few of you, uh, you got something coming. Mad Max is actually batshit crazy. I've seen it. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm sorry, I've, that's how it is. I've seen it once, but I really can't have a judge. I, I know people have raved about it to me. I'm kind of neutral on the thing because the one time I've seen the movie was when in a room with 25 people talking at the same time, so I couldn't hear or understand a goddamn thing that was going on. I have seen it at a midnight showing, and I walked out of there and had no idea what I saw for two hours. Yeah. Like, literally, that's the movie to me. Yeah. It's not bad. <clears throat> it's visually intense as all blazes. Yeah. So you have to kind of take it with a grain of salt with that. Sure. But the fact they're doing a prequel, uh, mm-hmm. like... Uh, let me see some footage first, and we'll, yeah. then we'll talk. Comic, moving on. Comic, you should check out this week from my recommendations uh, is the Star Wars Darth Vader issue six, uh, where uh, they, he it's the start of this new story where you know Palpatine is going to be 
is all sorts of pissed off at him and he wants to put the fear back in Vader because he doesn't think he's using fear enough. There's a I've read some spoilers. There is a Rise of Skywalker connection to the to the comic. I know that was oh. te- I know that was teased at one point that it's going to connect to Rise of Skywalker in some way. Uh, did not see this coming. It's not a huge, major, massive one. And, you know, Ray doesn't show up. Finn doesn't show up in the issue. No, it's just something that was in Rise of Skywalker makes an appearance uh, in this comic. So definitely be sure to check that out at your local comic shops. I, I know I will. Uh, also, we got a new trailer for uh, the upcoming volume of Ruby. That is volume eight, which is coming out on November 7th. So it's a great early birthday present for me. I know I cannot wait, uh, especially after last season where things left off, where, you know, up against the wall, you know, the the enemy really moving in on, on the heroes, where they're going to go. I don't know, but I am all sorts of locked in for that. Yeah, no, trailer looked dope. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on to some streaming news. I know this one made some uh, waves. Uh, Disney Disney is reorganizing its business with a focus on streaming. Uh, so according to the article I'm reading from IGN, uh, the Walt Disney Company has unveiled a new corporate structure that places a higher priority on streaming in light of re- the rapid success of Disney+. Plus. The company announced the reorganization of its media and entertainment businesses on Monday in a post that highlighted Disney's d- desire to further accelerate its direct-to-consumer strategy. Under the new structure, Disney's content creation groups will focus on producing and delivering content for theatrical, linear, and streaming, with the primary focus being the company's streaming services. Uh, Quote, saying, quote, we are strategically positioning our company to be more effectively support our growth at strategy and increase shareholder value, Bob Chapek, uh, Disney's CEO, said in a statement. Managing content creation distinct from distribution distribution will allow us to be more effective and nimble in making the content consumers want most uh, delivered in the way they prefer to consume it. Close quote. So a little bit of a surprise. I know some people had a lot of reaction about this. To me, it just makes sense given the current state of the world and in the state of the last 10 months of the year where the last movie I saw in theaters was Bird, birds of prey mm-hmm. and and because of this, this situation with uh, the, the pandemic and, and theaters being closed here in new york state i haven't seen a movie in, in theater since you know so i and and that obviously if you read the articles and pay attention to kind of the movie industry news that's hurt not just disney but it's hurt every movie studio they've yeah. lost they've lost out on a lot of uh, money disney plus is a great way to stream the back content i know they tried the the premiere access plus with Mulan and it kind of it wasn't so successful. Uh, so in, in turn, kind of a related story, uh, the upcoming Disney Pixar film Soul is going to premiere on Disney Plus, skipping theaters, and it's going to be out on. Uh, it was originally supposed to come out in November. However, now it's coming straight to Disney Plus. No added purchase needed. Just mm. going to drop for everybody if you got Disney Plus. That's crazy. It's going to drop on Christmas Day. So I think them reorganizing things kind of makes sense given the, the state of the world and the pandemic that. Should this happen again, and God, let's hope it doesn't, yeah. it sets them up for a way that they're not so, you know, hands tied, but if hands and feet tied behind their back, there's no way for them to get these movies out, and it's just a way for them to get stuff out to us, the consumers. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's just kind of crazy to think that this is going to be the new setup. Sure. But obviously... Stuff's, stuff's still going to be coming out in theaters, you know, the big movies and the big stuff, but just you might have some stuff that... If it's not a guaranteed hit at the box office that they're like, yeah, this might not do so well. You know what? Let's just put it out straight to uh, Disney+. Plus. And it's a smart move to get people on your subscription service, too. Yeah. So if you can entice them, just the whole thing about paying the 30 bucks for Mulan, I mean. Yeah. No, that, that was the thing. Yeah, no. Like, if it was Black Widow, I would because sure. the difference being is Mulan is you've a seen. remake. Yeah, you've seen the animated version. Yeah. So, I mean, to, to really sell that point, like, I have no problem paying the 30 bucks 
if it's the equivalent of me going to the movies. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the thing. Like, I, would I normally do it? No. No. But if I can't go to the movie theaters right now because of the current state of the world, mm-hmm. and there's a movie I really want to see, and the next one up, is uh, unless something crazy happens scheduling-wise, because, hey, it is what it is, yeah. is Black Widow. Right. So if I have to pay $30, that's like me going with some somebody else to the movies. Sure. And I'm paying for that. I'm paying for X, Y, and Z. Sure. So it adds up. I get it. Yeah. So I'm not like offended by it. Mm-hmm. It just depends on what the movie is. Like yeah. Mulan, I could care less about. Yeah. Uh, moving on to some other movie news. Got a trailer that released today that I knew was in the works for a while, but I didn't realize it was this goddamn. Yes, yeah, they didn't show the this trailer at New York Comic Con too. Sure. Uh, um, is the movie trailer for the upcoming film Monster Hunter based off of the very popular video game? Yeah. Uh, this directed by a gentleman named Paul Anderson. Yep. Uh, who you might know, he wrote the script for Resident Evil Apocalypse, which came out in 2004. Uh, he also directed Event Horizon in 1997. Mortal Kombat. Yeah, like we were talking about, he had a great panel in NYCC. In uh, 1995, uh, he's directing, and the description of this uh, I'm reading off of IMDb, says, When Lieutenant Artemis and her loyal soldiers are transported to a new world, they engage in a desperate battle for survival against enormous enemies with incredible powers. Uh, And a feature film based on the video game by Capcom. So, yeah, Paul Anderson is directing this. It's starring uh, Mila... Mila, Mila Jovich. Jovich, uh, who you might know from, uh, she was Lilu in The Fifth Element. She was Alice in Resident Evil Afterlife and Resident Evil Extinction. Uh, and she was also uh, Abby Taylor in the 2009 film The Fourth Kind. Uh, it's also f- uh, starring a gentleman by the name of Tony Ja and a little uh, known rapper T.I. Uh, is also in the film. I, like I said uh, before, I don't know much about the video game franchise. I haven't played them, but this trailer looks absolutely batshit crazy yeah they didn't tease the trailer at new york comic-con mm-hmm. so they did show like a couple glimpses of the film like sure. so we didn't really get a full taste of it sure and i know where like pad wants to really explain is like this is going to be a very big hit i mm. think i mean if you like uh pacific rim right it's just kind of it's, it's got a, that vibe to it, it has that vibe to yeah. it. a little bit different obviously yes. because of reasons but yes but it's something that if you're a fan of that kind of genre, it's going to be right up your alley. Also, if you watch the trailer, uh, they train a 50 cal mounted 50 cal machine gun that's on an army uh, jeep looking thing. Mm-hmm. That ain't enough. No, that's all I'm saying. Definitely ain't not. Enough. Uh, moving on to some other news and some very surprising news that came out today. Uh, to read the, a quote from the folks uh, in charge. Surprise, motherfucker. Uh, Dexter's coming back uh, to Showtime oh. as, a, it, as a limited series. Uh, so uh, a reading from the, the IGN article, it says, America's favorite meticulous serial doctor, Dexter Morgan, is making his return in 2021 with a limited series on Showtime. Michael C. Hall returns to reprise his famous or perhaps infamous role. Uh, Hall joins series original series showrunner Clyde Phillips, who wrote and produced during all eight seasons that premiered on Showtime in 2006. Uh, nothing has been mentioned about the plot, but Showtime has speculated on what a potential Dexter reboot would look like during an interview in 2014. Uh, at the time, Showtime's president, David Nevins, said, quote, If I were to do something, I would want to do Dexter in a new concept and configuration. I want it to feel different, not just a continuation of the old show, close quote. Uh, So as a lot of people know, and I'm sure Ken's going to mention in a minute because he's got some thoughts on this, uh, Dexter's final season left a sour taste in fans' mouth with its poorly received final episode, and many have clamored for a for a revival since then fans even went so far as circulating a fake poster for season nine that featured hall and his killer co-star yvonne strahovski as the uh, that was quickly debunked by showtime okay the thoughts views and opinions upcoming are that of ken m and do not reflect that of the odph or myself uh listener discretion is advised 
This had better be fucking good because I will tell you this. If this sucks like they did the series finale, I'm going to go on a fucking tirade. I know I'm dropping F-bombs like water right now, but let me break this down to you, Pat. I know you've never seen the series. Nope. In its original run, okay, we've had eight seasons. Four phenomenal. Four they could have stopped with because without going spoiler – you had John Lithgow. It's been long enough. Go spoilers. All right, fine. I'll go spoilers. Well, if, listener audience, I will give you fair warning. ODPH Society, I will be talking some spoilers. So I will try keeping it spoiler free, but you know what? I'm just that amped up. Okay, so the story is Dexter is a uh, uh, works at a crime lab and does the autopsies at for the Miami police. And he's also a serial killer because he has like a weird like psychological thing with him. The first run of the show, the first four seasons, were amazing and definitely went a lot of different directions because he's a serial killer who cure, who kills serial killers. Uh, it's like he has a weird code. It's morally complex. It's kind of this really wild story. And then it hits its apex at season four with the Trinity Killer played by John Lithgow. And it is literally a masterpiece of a season. It's dark, it's disturbing, it's everything you need. And I believe at this point, this is when they changed showrunners, and this is when the, the everything started taking a turn for the worse. Because now all of a sudden you go in waves uh-huh. of quality on the show. And where we get to the final season is nothing but fucking hot garbage. Uh-huh. And how do they end this show? They're all setting up for where Dexter is finally exposed for the murders he's done. And the police are chasing him. He has now a wife and son that are now on the run because his original wife was killed off. Uh-huh. So now he's dating this also serial killer and is trying to escape Miami with the son. And instead of joining them, he decides to drive a boat into a fucking hurricane. Yeah. <laughs> Good Lord. It, like, it's what the fuck is going on here? And then allegedly that was supposed to kill him off because you know what at this point the villain of that year I honestly don't forget because he's that forgettable. Yeah. And I believe like he Dexter kills him in prison. Like it's it's a weird fucking scenario. I man, I, I'm really dropping the F on. You really got me amped up about this shit. So, this all being said, you had the worst series finale in the history of fucking television. I'm sorry, I can't look up specific episode scores because it doesn't happen for some reason. But season eight for Dexter in terms of uh, for Rotten Tomatoes on the tomato uh, the critic uh, meter out of 45 critic ratings, it has a score of 33 uh, percent. And then on the audience score out of the uh, 1,020 user ratings, it has a score of 51 percent. Yeah, it should be lower because it was fucking hot garbage. Like, like I'm sorry for the where it was. And at one point. It was the best show on cable. Sure. At one point. Downhill ever, ever ever since episode four. The minute they switched showrunners, in my opinion, the dip in quality was there. And I can't remember. It was um, Colin Hanks was the, the one villain the one year. I know they had Julia Stiles on at one point. Like The series kind of blends because the quality doesn't stand out at this is the stage. And then where they go in the final season, it's like, oh, my God. This yeah. is just 
bad. I'll say just to read one quick blurb of a review for the season from uh, Matt Fowler, uh, who we know and follow on Twitter. Uh, Quote, while it didn't, let's say, add up to nothing like season six did, it gave fans a ton of stuff that no one wanted, including plot points and revelations that weren't just unsatisfying, but intolerable. Exactly. It made no fucking sense. Like the whole thing made no fucking sense. I think I've dropped 12 F-bombs in this segment alone. I'm going to keep going because it makes no sense. And if you're going to come back, like, you had better find your A game from whatever dumpster you put it in because your past four seasons were subpar. Your last one was a complete mail-in job, in my opinion. There was nothing redeeming about it. The portrayals was just off the all over the place. Uh-huh. And then how you end, you drive into a freaking hurricane, and then you wind up in, like, Portland – yeah, as a lumberjack, starting over because suddenly you've lost your urge to kill or whatever the deal was. Like, I'm sorry, you need to bring something to the table. I am not excited about this. It's because here's the thing: either one, you're going to improve this, and I'm going to say, why didn't you just do it then? Or two, it's going to be worse than the series finale. Hey, and then I'm going to absolutely lose my mind about it that I spent time watching it. So the pressure is all on them. And, mm-hmm. if, and I'm, I'm sorry, did we not learn from the, the mistake we did the first time? Like, why do we need to come back? Why yeah. do we need to revisit? We don't. We don't. Like, let it go. Just own the L and move on. Come on. Like, ugh. yeah, and I, I'll be the one watching. I'll, I will give my critique about this. Uh-oh. Oh, oh, yeah, this is the only reason I'm going to keep Showtime right now. Oh. I'm just going to put it out there. All right. Well, let's make it happy. Let's move on to some happier things. Uh, it was announced. <sighs> uh, it was an, You feel better? Yeah, I, I will when we get to the next segment. Uh, <laughs> next story. So uh, last week after we recorded, some very interesting news came out uh, that Benedict Cumberbatch is joining Spider-Man 3 as Doctor Strange. This according to an ex- exclusive from The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, so it reads, quote, The good and strange Doctor has been caught up in the spider's web. Benedict Cumberbatch is putting on the cloak of levitation and will reprise Marvel supernatural hero Doctor Strange for the latest Spider-Man movie installment, starring Tom Holland and being made by Marvel Studios and Sony Pictures. The movie puts Cumberbatch in the mentor role that was previously occupied by Robert Downey Jr., who of course played Tony Stark slash Iron Man in Spider-Man Homecoming, and Samuel L. Jackson in Spider-Man Far From Home, the latter reprising Nick Fury. The role gives Holland a chance to play opposite seasoned actors, gives Peter Parker a father figure, and gives the movie's extra star power while trying to while tying them to the greater Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, so this, of course, is coming off the news that two weeks ago uh, that it is getting some unexpected ties that it's bringing back Jamie Foxx as Electro, uh, who of course played that character in the amazing Spider-Man two, which came out back in 2014. No word yet. has gone back and forth, whether he's going to be portraying the Electro from the amazing Spider-Man two, or if he's playing a new Electro, but I'm thinking the more signs are pointing to a spider verse movie. Oh yeah, there's definitely gonna be Spider Verse. Because if you're getting Benedict Cumberbatch involved, shit's gonna get crazy. Yeah, you're gonna have somebody involved. You're gonna have Andrew Garfield. You're gonna have Tob- Tobey Maguire. You're Which gonna- rumors are running rampant that they're signed on. Well, at this stage, like I'm looking at Twitter and it's trending on Twitter right now. Yeah, like at this stage, it's a done deal. So you're gonna do Into the Spider Verse as episode or as the third Spider-Man movie. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you this: you're going to introduce Miles Morales. You're going to have that character now. In the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. Now, whether it's the one that's in the current timeline, or hey, why don't you just bring him over from another planet and just call it the Ultimates Verse? Sure. Bam, you're going to have him in there, which I'm super excited to see. I'm sorry, I'm still angry about Dexter. 
you're still going to have Miles involved. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great way to spin him in. You don't need to do too much of an origin story. You can kind of do it like how they did the Spider-Man series. Yeah. You remember when they did that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can, you can kind of explain it like that. Yeah. So there is a, a way to do this. I'm a, I'm actually excited about this. I've heard Jamie Foxx is not going to be blue. Oh, okay. That's the last I heard about this, that I think it's going to be him in the actual 616 universe. Oh. That's what I'm just going to call the MCU. Sure. So that being said, I'm all on board with this. Sure. I think it's a smart way to do, especially sure. – like how they're doing this. The only thing I fear, though, is like, are they copying what the Flash is doing, and is this a response to it? Yeah, maybe. Like it just kind of seems. I mean, I, people wanted to see that for a long. time. Oh yeah, time yeah, yeah. Well, after well, I'm sorry. Into the Spider Verse is one of the best movies you're ever going to see of comics. Sure. So yeah, why not borrow from that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I, I tell you what, I'd be excited to see Ghost Spider in there too. Yeah. I know right. there hasn't been any casting. Yeah. Maybe Emma Stone won't come back for that. Yeah, Who knows? Maybe. Well, also, in related news, we, it looks like we won't have to wait long to figure it out because uh, eagle-eyed people who live in Queens discovered a sign that was put up on a uh, light pole, which reads, quote, No parking. Film shoot. Parking can be held uh, a maximum of 24 hours in advance of the date and time indicated below. Uh, as uh, spaces become available, vehicles must be moved by uh, shoot day and time. Thursday, October 15th, 2020, shoot time, 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. Uh, project name, Serenity Now. Uh, and then there's a phone number listed, and it does have the New York Police Department logo and the Made in New York logo on it. So uh, that's in, taking place in Queens, uh, which is uh, just happens to be where Spider-Man is from. Uh, and there's been rumors that it's going to start filming soon. So it looks like we're going to find out sooner rather than later what's going on. Bring it on. Uh-huh. Super, super, super excited. Yeah. So let's take it to the DC Universe, though, for a quick second. Okay. Uh, during Comic-Con weekend, it was also announced that HBO Max has now greenlit the Green Lantern show. No pun intended. Didn't we already know they were making that? We already knew, but now we got some details. Uh, but now it's like officially official. It's kind of like when you're in a relationship and then you make it Facebook official. Gotcha. Same kind of deal. Gotcha. So HBO Max has announced um, they have a series order out. And they have announced the Lanterns involved. Mm-hmm. So Guy Gardner, Jessica Cruz, Simon Baz, and Alan Scott. You are also going to have Sinestro involved, and you're going to have Kilowog. So the way I am interpreting this, mm-hmm. this is the Green Lantern core show. This is not a Green Lantern show, per se. But you're going to have stories of different Green Lanterns throughout the history of the DC universe that they are in. Like, mm-hmm. whatever you want to define it as. There is no Hal Jordan announced. There is no Kyle Rayner. There is no Jon Stewart. I fully believe that those characters are going to get introduced or they're holding off right now to put them in a feature film and make mm. that the Green Lantern Corps. Could be. So for everybody that's freaking out about it, be excited about this. I, I'm actually thinking this is going to be very cool. I heard they have a very big budget to work with. So we will get a full outer space um, show. So bring it on. I'm very amped up for mm-hmm. this. Uh, obviously, it's going to be kind of a different tone. Um, no casting has been announced yet. So we'll have to kind of wait and see what they do. Uh, and definitely something to be looking forward to on HBO Max. I know that the DC Universe shows are all set to be transferred over November 1st, oh. if I read correctly. Ooh. So Titans, uh, Harley Quinn, and DC uh, Young Justice ah, okay. are going to be going over. Uh, no word yet about um, Swamp Thing, if it's not already there. I don't think so. I haven't, but we have to also plug that Swamp Thing is currently running on the CW, so if you are a fan of that show and want to try getting a revival going for that, tune in for it. Just going to put that out there in the universe. But, yeah, HBO Max is making some moves. Definitely excited to see that. Comic-wise, I will get into before, uh, 
a couple picks for the week. It's a very strong week for comics, too. Like I said, uh-huh. before I go into the final uh, portion of the show, definitely want to give a quick, a couple quick shout-outs to Valiant has uh, Bloodshot number 9 coming out. That's looking really strong. Marvel-wise, Amazing Spider-Man 50 uh-huh. is coming out of the current storyline. Uh, you also have um, some Exa Sword spinoff books coming as well. So, like I said, we already talked about that last segment. It's a big week, um, big story. So, if you want to jump in, there's a lot of moving parts with it. Grab one and definitely stay on board. DC, though, has a big week. Big week. Big, big, big week. Dark Knight's Death Metal 4. Uh-huh. You also have Rorschach number one. Oh. Yes. So those two books alone should be enough to sell you on what's going on. It also looks like they have the Doomsday Clock Collector's Edition oh, in as well. Cool. So, so that'll be something worth It's the complete collection, so it's all 12 issues put into one. So a lot of stuff going, but I, like I say, you have Death Metal 4 coming out, and yep. obviously the uh, mock-up of the Watchmen universe yep. on the cover, and then Warshack number one, which is early spoilers saying that it's tying into the TV show more than the universe. Hmm. Now, I don't know if that's done on purpose. It is Tom King. You know I'm a fan. I'm going to check it out. Let's kind of wait and see about that. So a lot of news going on there, trying to, you know, Capture in on the TV market. And to close this segment out, I have to recap the boys. Uh Uh-oh. We did talk about this a little bit from the New York Comic Con panel. The series, all episodes of episode two, or season two, rather, are on Amazon right now. It is well worth your watch. I have to plug the show phenomenally. This has been one of the best seasons of comic TV that you'll find. Anthony Starr, who plays Homelander, the version of Superman, but is really not as noble as Clark Kent, phenomenally stole this season. Carl Urban, who plays Bo- Billy Butcher, is the brash leader of the boys who goes through an emotional journey this year looking for answers for his wife's disappearance and where he ended up this year uh, from the end of season one was truly an emotional roller coaster for him, so he definitely put on a stellar performance. Jack Quaid as Huey Campbell definitely grew in his role and obviously bouncing off with Aaron Moriarty as Starlight, the uh, one good member, shall we say, of uh-huh. the seven. They definitely had some scene-stealing moments of the year. I definitely have to say, though, the uh, silver medal goes to Tomar Capon as Frenchie who definitely had one of the strongest episodes dealing with his background, especially dealing with Lamplighter, yeah. who was one Sean Ashmore. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, so kind of a little play, uh, who wasn't in the series that long, and obviously his character Lamplighter has a lot of baggage with him, and how his story arc ended was very, very unique. But the one that generated the most buzz out of everybody was that of Stormfront. And Stormfront is definitely not the nicest person in the world. It is a play off one Shazam to be a degree. Okay. Albeit, though, tying into the dark side of World War II Mm -hmm. and all the evilness that comes with it. Aya Cash, who plays Stormfront, definitely did an amazing job with this. But the bigoted views of the character shine through, and obviously was a complete challenge for Cash to do, and she pulled it off phenomenally. Obviously, if you read the comic, uh, Stormfront is a male. In the show, was a female. And like I say, to do the uh, complete 180 of the character, she pulled off amazingly. And in fact, like I'm actually reading on Wikipedia 
about that she received hate mail for her betrayal of the Nazi character. Jeez. Like, she played that character so well, and Cash, who was actually Jewish, uh, was just responding to it as, like, I, I, just about how she took this character and just made people hate this character. And it was absolutely wild. Just her performance, like I said, was uh, uh, incredible. And I don't want to give away what happened at the end of the season, but it's almost like it's too happy of an ending. Sure. And for the boys' universe, it, it shouldn't be. But it, the final episode, what I know, delivers you on such an emotional roller coaster, especially when you deal with Carl Urban's uh, Butcher. You deal with Aya Cash's Stormfront and the ramifications of her character this year. Uh-huh. And like I said, I cannot say what an amazing job Aya Cash did. She took this character and really oozed out the evil in it and definitely made you hate that character. And it was such a, a phenomenal performance. She deserves an Emmy nomination, in my opinion, too. But Anthony Starr as Homelander and dealing with the egotistical complexity of his character deserves all the awards. was fucking phenomenal. This show has been such a well-received hit that it's actually been dominating over some Netflix shows. I believe we actually talked about it. it was the, yeah, it, we did. Yeah, it was the mo- it's the most viewed streaming show of the year. Yep. And rightfully so. That if you like your superheroes with a bit of absolute craziness, with a realistic approach with super over-the-top moments, this show is for you. The performances are phenomenal. And I cannot stress this enough. For any bad reviews that you're giving this show, you need to stop. Because just the fact that it didn't come out weekly is enough for... That it didn't come out all at once. Yeah, or it didn't come out all at once, rather. It's a joke. And if you're going to really sit there and tear it down, it's absolutely sickening. This show delivered on every single front. It gave you the closest portrayal to the comic, which the comic is much darker and more disturbing. And, Pad, let me just put it that way. You think this is bad? This is not bad compared to the comic. Mm -hmm. The comic is even more fucked up. But the portrayals that have been done by this acting and the writing with here with Kripke Enterprises is fantastic. Carl Urban just oozes charisma in this role. And his playoff, Anthony Starr's Homelander, is absolutely epic. And to see where Homelander goes with Stormfront, like I said, that's your trifecta this year. That they have absolutely scene-stealing moments. Cash acted the hell out of this role. And her portrayal, like, I honestly hated Stormfront, but I applaud her for making me hate her. Sure. Because there's a lot to hate about Stormfront, because Stormfront's an awful human being. But how Cash brought it to the screen, you just obviously want to hate this character. And, I mean, that's the best part of playing a villain, when you can get that kind of reaction out of somebody. Homelander does the same thing, too. He's such an egotistical asshole. But I love Anthony Starr in this role. I love Aya Cash in this role. I love Carl Urban. And like I said, the sleeper of this year was Tomer Capone. He was absolutely incredible in the series. And like I say, you definitely have to check out, I want to say it's episode six when you when you de- when you dive into his back history. Like, it's just fantastic. It's something you definitely need to check out. I cannot stress this enough. Amazon Prime, get binge watching. And we did get a little teaser today on Twitter from Eric Kripke that season three is already in the works. The script is done, and it's titled Payback. If you've read the comic, you know what to expect with that. I can't wait. I'm actually going to start binge watching. In fact, 
Our friends over at 3FN are going to actually be doing a live reaction binge watch because Diesel has never seen this. Do you believe this, Pat? Uh, yeah. Diesel, this is a show catered to him. So it's going to be up his alley. It's going to be something worthwhile checking out on twitch.tv slash 67 podcast. But don't wait till then. Don't take my word for it. Start binge watching now. There's so many other moments. I don't even want to go into spoiler territory because I don't want to ruin it for everybody. Jump on the show. Hit me up on that hashtag ODPH and let me know what you think. That all being said, the music you heard on this episode's beginning was that of Shout Out the Robots. We're closing with some Tom Jolu. Tom was a featured guest this week on the ODPH. His episode will be dropping. You need to go check it out. He's a brilliant musician. He's an amazing human being, and he puts out some great music. So we're going to close out some Tom Jolu. You want to find out about him, Shout, and all the other great bands you hear, along with organizational links to Black Lives Matter, voter registration links, amazing pod groups that we are in via their Podchaser pages, Hashtag 67podcast with 3FN and 8122productions.com and their Patreon. And so much more, head on over to OchoDuroParleyHour.com and keep the conversation going. That's all I got for this week. So for the one only Paddle 1J. 140 days in, still no HBO Max app on Amazon Fire Stick or Roku. I'm your host, Ken M. Go watch the boys. Thank me later. Thank you as always for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.
Thank you.